This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hello, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Evan. Hi, I'm Will. Or should I say Vril? <laughs> We're going to talk That's about my jet kind of joke. <laughs> We're going to talk about the coming race by Edward Bulwer Lytton. Uh, first published anonymously in 1871. Uh, later published as Vril, the power of the coming race, or Vril, the coming race. Um, highly influential novel. I'd heard of it, uh, but I'm not a I'm not a huge Edward Bulwer Lytton fan. I, I've read a little bit. Uh, but he was huge. He was a uh, rival for Dickens, for sure. Um, different kind of writer. But, uh, who, who else had read this before? Anybody? No, I'd heard of it. No. I've heard of it, its influence on certain, on the Theosophists and the Nazis and whatnot, but I'd never actually read it before. Mm-hmm. I'd wanted to read it for years, and I was so thrilled that I convinced somebody to read it with me. Well, it, didn't, it wasn't that hard. I mean, it's it's an underground, underground dystopia utopia from the 19th century. That's that's my jam. <laughs> <laughs> I also like a little butter. Um, there's not that much butter in here, but there is uh, a lot of wings and a lot of info dump. The whole middle of the book is basically a giant info dump, right? Yes. Yeah, it's got a very mushy middle in terms of plotting or lack of plotting. It's so, just like let's talk about our society. Uh, so that the way left, I would yeah, have written like, this, I would have, I would have said, "Nice first draft, bud. Now write an adventure set in that place," and uh, that's like basically what all the people who are writing underground civilization stories did. They said, "Hey, that drill was really it was a cool idea, but it kind of sucked as a book." Luckily. <laughs> I can set an adventure down there. And then they sort of abandoned all the things that were stupid, which is a lot of this book is stupid. Um, stupid in a weird way, yeah. too. Stupid but compelling. It's interesting. I, I, I can't, if I was in the 19th century and somebody told me to read this, I'd be like, yeah, that sounds really stupid, but maybe I'd be stupid back then the way the way so many people were stupid to think that this was amazing. But I mean, these I kind of novels had some, some legs uh, like these, I mean, it kind of is written more like a utopian novel. I thought it is a bit about like looking black or looking backward, yep. which has the same kind of structure where it's got a very loose plot, just get someone to some other place. And then 90% of the book will be describing that place. And then, mm-hmm. then some other device to get them back. And then it becomes like a thought experiment on society and gender or whatever you want to throw at it. A sociological novel. I mean, the interesting thing about this one as opposed to a lot of the other novels like this at the time is that this is an American sort of point of view. Like the the main character is very American, very pro-American is the future and (laughs) – Forget, 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 take it. We are Americans and we're going to do great until at the end when he, we kind of realize, yeah, when these people come out of the earth, we're fucked. Pardon my language. Uh, he's, um, yeah, when I read that section, I think it's in chapter eight, I, I had to look back to, you know, remind myself of the date that it was written because that seemed something you'd hear more in the end of the 19th century or the early 20th century. This, this, uh, 
Where is it? But Bulwer Lytton uh, is not American. He's he's British. Yeah. No, but no, but it's in a very very American, very pro American point of view. Kind of. I. It's a satire. Well, no, it's not kind. It's not even kind. It's a satire. It's just, so yeah, it's, I think so. It's, I think it's you're not right, clear uh, in all points that it's a satire. But and the way the narrator read it, there was no winking and nodding. But there are so many indications that he's making fun of of the narrator. He's making fun of a lot of things. And the thing is, is they these these jokes don't land uh, very well. But it also explains like why it's so ironic that there's all these whack jobs thinking this shit is real, because it's like the ultimate <laughs> error. Like it's right in the book. These are not. This is not a. This is not a utopia. It's a dystopia of a certain kind and a very specific kind. And it's like his stuff is undercooked a little. I always use this phrase, but basically he just didn't, he didn't think it through. So if this had been the background still Merillium material for an actual story, it'd be a much better book because he's basically, he's set like up a world a, Bible. Yeah, yeah. He's, you know, he's set up a whole bunch of stuff. Like we get a whole etymology of how their languages you know, forms and, and, and stuff like that. And, That's and, all and very similar. I, I don't think that works well in the. I don't think that works well in the audio book. But I, because when he when he when he starts doing the all the cases, I went to the I went to the text and there's a nice little chart there. It's like, oh, okay, that makes more sense. I mean, just reading them out in an audio book, no one wants to read nominative and genitive cases in an audio book. Whereas in a physical physical book or an ebook, that comes across a lot better and. I did find that fascinating. He's like, wow, he's come up with a whole language. I like this. Mm. Um, there's a local angle. Um, Bulwer Lytton was the secretary for the colonies uh, in the 1850s. And uh, he, he was a Whig and a conservative, uh, changing teams, right? He was, he was a lord, basically. You know, he was not, he was not uh, high up. But he was like he was pretty high up, and then he's also this famous writer. Um, but uh, for example, the local angle is uh, there's a guy named uh, Colonel Moody, who named the or is named in the town next to the one I'm in, right? So as a as a colonial dude, and this is before this book is written, or at least before it's published, he is always looking out outward right and thinking about model societies and that stuff so like th this guy colonel moody he he basically was a royal engineer and he mapped where the streets would all be and there are roads named after people on his team and it's basically civil uh civ civic construction right this is a guy whose job it is to think about how Societies should be uh, run. Societies under his control, in a certain mm -hmm. sense. Um, and this, it was entirely clear to me that it was a satire, or at least somewhat satirical. When he started talking about how great democracy was, especially of, and how much time he spends on it, man. Holy cow. But um, especially when he talks about American democracy, <laughs> when he says... Um, my, uh, the narrator says, yes, uh, American democracy is wonderful and amazing. Um, for example, uh, two of my own brothers, uh, just finished paying $30,000 for a, a, to a, a congressman 
to uh, get their railroad the going. Yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, yeah. Jesse, I have the quote right here. Perfect. Yeah, I found it. Go uh, for it. This is my PDF. It's page 40, 41. But um, it's probably just the first PDF you find if you search for it on Google. All right. Fortunately, recollecting the parations of a speech on the putrefying influences of American <laughs> democracy and their destined spread over the world, made by a certain eloquent senator for whose votes in the Senate, a railroad company to which my two brothers belonged, had just paid $20,000, I wound up by repeating its glowing predictions of the magnificent future that smiled upon mankind <sighs> oh my God. when the flag of freedom should float over an entire continent and 200 millions of intelligent citizens accustomed from infancy to the daily use of revolvers should apply to the covering universe, <laughs> the, doctor. the doctrine of the patriotic Monroe, the Patriot that Monroe. Feels That's really, exactly what I'm talking about. Really, uh, really, uh, revelatory. Like, Oh God, he predicted the 21st century in America. <laughs> Although we're 300 million. No, it's satire. It's satire because, you know, <laughs> from infancy, they're handed pistols. And then exactly what, what's going on in the society he's talking to. It's basically, uh, exactly the same thing. The kids are the hunters. They, they are the rough housers. If and anybody needs to be destroyed, right? It's them. The women are, are in charge. Um, they treat men like women. They're bigger than men. They have wings, right? There's all sorts of crazy. It, it, it's not even a science fiction novel because the explanations are just shit. Right? Like, well, there's these big birds, and they they get the plumage from then, and then they wear their wings around, and and then Brill. <laughs> That's how they and can it, fly. Brill does lots of things. Brill is is like the secret sauce of everything in this society. But of course, our narrator can't access Brill, which is good because otherwise he'd kill himself or something. It just that that never was actually well I like you said this this a lot of this is under that was no explained like well I mean they're humans. I mean they're they've been down there for a long time. So, so why can't our narrator access Brill? You're not quite well, he doesn't, doesn't have those he doesn't hands, have midi chlorians in his blood. Exactly. Midi well, no, I mean, actually, he doesn't have the real vein. That's, um, that's that's right. There's these things in under the palm of their hand. That's why they carry that staff around. And, in fact, they are uh, they're basically magic wands, right? So I kept I yes. kept hoping that there would be some tie to Cersei, you know, uh, because she's the first lady with a wand in in human history or prehistory or whatever. Um, and she's, she's doing magic and she's got a strong will. Um, she can transmute things into other things, in, in, right? In, in, in Western, in Western Greek literature, I mean, there's, um, what's her name? Um, that, um, that Sumerian goddess, uh, also has like a staff. Um, I can't remember the, the one, the one that goes down into the underworld and gets her lover back. She also carries a staff, but Cersei's the one everyone remembers because she's the most, what's well, a mean, wand more, more as opposed to a staff, right? So these are variable okay. length. Um, we're told that they can change change the length of their wand, so it, it's 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 somewhat satirical in setup, but there's it's it's kind of funny. Like what I was focused so much on is how many other good books there are that are ripping this off or responding to it, and there's one we've done on this podcast, other than the mound, which I will let you get to in a moment. <laughs> um. City of Endless Night, yo. Yes. Yeah. Milo Hastings. Think about how it starts. Two dudes are down in a mine. 
Uh, one of them fall, one, both of them fall or fall in, and then one of them down there, the dead bodies, is an engineer. And in fact, they're both engineers. Yeah. And then they discover this that- Nazi world underground. But in that world, the, like the, the magic if, is eugenics, right? Such as mm-hmm. it is here, it's Vril, right? And but it also eugenics. It, it, comes, it is it eugenics like, as well. Yeah, 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 do, they're, they're, yeah, there's definitely eugenics in they, this novel. They too. zap I, any I just, baby who's bad. In a way, I want to not be too hard. Like It, look, it sounds kind of silly from our point of view, but there is in the 19th century this kind of Electromagnetism was just discovered. In fact, that's mentioned in the book. I mean, Faraday is talked about here, mm-hmm. you know, and there is this revelation that there's this force that we never really knew about before that's there alongside gravity. And, you know, the age of the earth is being discovered in the 19th century. You know, there's a lot. This is the kind of why I wanted mm-hmm. now, especially now that I read it, I wanted my wife to, you know, jump in on this one because she's a historian of science and she could speak to these things. <laughs> A little bit more, but you know, like the age of the earth is being discovered. I think that's certainly an influence on on Lovecraft as well. A little bit later, but I don't. I don't know. I, I think I don't think it's so for the audience. I don't think it's an unreasonable hypothesis that there's some other fundamental force out there. It's not just like alchemy. It's. I mean, it's there's a culture kind of a scientific culture around this discovery of new I, things. I mean, even the it, elements it, it, and all that. I, I, I agree with you. I, I agree with you. I mean, it's kind of, there is a scientific viewpoint to it. It's not treated, Brill's not treated as magic. It's treated as, as a force of nature, which is, which is, which it's electricity, basically. It's a very important distinction. Yeah, it's a, it's a very important distinction because you could have, like, you could, and some of the derivatives of this novel treat that sort of super thing as, Mental magic or mental power or well, that's some, how the cults supernatural, use it, right? They they're treating it as uh, as a as a pseudoscience. Well, I mean, they wouldn't say so, but it was a the way they were thinking of it. So uh, let's mm-hmm. let's talk about that briefly. So basically, um, Vril has long long legs, and the book less so, but the idea of Vril is still with us today. Um, the most interesting one, uh, I think is like, oh shit, my whole life I've known about this, this stuff and I had no idea it was connected to an 1871 novel. Um, Bovril, B-O-V-R-I-L. That product, did you guys hear about this? No. Okay. So Bovril is a British, uh, food product. Basically it's, uh, it's like a cube with, uh, essence of beef. And you like pour hot water over. This is my gathering. Oh, you, oh, bouillon. It's basically a bouillon, but it's a brand, okay. Bovril. Okay, okay. Take it, it, they actually started, I think, in 1860 or something. And they, as when the book came out, they changed their name, um, the company, so that they're they took bovine and vril. So bovril oh, is God. is you know the beef essence that's going to make you hearty 19th century was especially the latter half of the 19th century was where all of all of soda pop was invented right all of these wonder drugs all of these things that were designed to improve and healthize your body 
the yeah, uh, and also like cereals in Michigan, you know, exactly bodybuilding, yeah. the physical culture, all of this stuff is the pseudoscience that we're still we still have where some guy says just eat this product and and you're you're you'll become healthy and you won't get cancer and it'll cure your aches and pains and all that so this stuff is still around so vril is a way to do this outside this book as a kind of um discipline and there's a uh an introduction uh to an audiobook version uh, from a bbc um piece on archive.org i i guess will heard it right yeah i heard I think I heard three fourths of that and then like fell asleep and didn't return to it. Right. But yes, that was, so, it was interesting enough. There was this in, we know not, the Nazis were really, or pre Nazi Germany was into this a lot, but the British yes. were into it too in the late 19th century. And they would like sit around, um, listening to quacks saying, you just have to breathe through your nose. And, and if you concentrate on your breathing, it's very, very modern sounding like you can improve your life just by breathing through your nose and you you can know a person better by how well they breathe and you become a smarter and greater person you access a higher level you become a a, su- a superior being by just doing yoga i mean breathing through your nose right so hey, hey now I, I i've started doing a little bit of yoga don't knock me over but see that's the thing right it is it, it's bullshit it's good to exercise your body um, and that, he even makes fun of that in this book. Remember how these, uh, super muscled ladies get their, their, their tone? Right? Their, uh, big, uh, big muscular arms and muscular legs. It's by not sudden vigorous exercise, but continual calm exercise. It's like, okay, oh, well, yeah, like, he's, like, yeah, like, yeah, he's making like fun. Or yoga. Yeah. He's making fun of this sort of, nonsense that's obviously springing up in 1870 britain i i i assume that's what he's doing because he makes fun of so many little things and then there's like well that's weird why is he focused so much on that like for example everybody knows in this 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 underworld this coming race world um that god is real (laughs) 100 percent, no question and when you die, you you absolutely go to live in a, a very specific other world that actually exists and you're reunited with your loved ones. I I could imagine that he believed that, but I don't really think so. I think that he's he's making fun of kind of Christianity there because it's nuts. When the kid at the end says, so I'm my dad wants me to kill you. And I know that might be distressing for you because you're a weirdo. But uh, my idea is, um, well, we could go together. <laughs> I'll kill myself too. Will, you, will that help you? <laughs> I was like, um, no. <laughs> I mean, yes. I don't know. What the fuck? <laughs> right? I mean, that's ridiculous. He can't really believe that, right? So he's not, he doesn't really believe that. He's, he's made a strange narrative like, uh, you know, like Swift, it's Gulliver's Travels, except one place underground. And then, you know, with the uh, opening where we don't know what country he's in, we don't know 
uh, what city he's in. We know he's from the States. But yeah, he specifically he specifically le- leaves off those details. He says so. Yeah, so no one can actually replicate his replicate trip. his trip. And you notice on the way down, um, in this uh, tube, I went and re-listened to the beginning. Um, the the passage that they passed through actually had been zapped before. It he says he says that it looked like. Uh, uh, some sort of um, volcanic action, right? But actually, probably what happened was some real, really are uh, zapped, zapped this hole. Now it doesn't really follow up later with anything, but we know that they zap, zap the hole closed, right? So it, I don't know if this is sort For of for now. It's really weird. Like, why? Why the fuck do they have wings? They live underground. <laughs> I mean, that made me. That made me think of um, uh, which uh, the Menace from Earth by Heinlein, mm-hmm. where you have we have we have these underground lunar colonies, and for some reason they also have wings and they go flying. Well, around that that was a tourist attraction, and and that's that. But it makes just seems sense. so randomly weird. No, no, like, absolutely. Well, in here it's stupid. But in there, that's the whole point of that story, right? Is that the lower gravity would mean that weak human arms could allow flight. It's never explained that way in in this book. Yeah, it's, the, the, it's the whole, sort the of their gravity, yeah. superiority, right? They're angels, essentially. That's exactly it. No, so so again, he's he's, he's suggesting a, a higher being sort of thing. Yes, and yeah, and so. and the 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 whack jobs who claim. That Vril is real, even though Bulwer Lytton's story is nonsense. Um, they were talking about exactly this shit. So they would say, well, see, those Nordics, the reason why they're superior is because they have as much as 1% angel in them. Whereas, uh, you know, those blacks out of Africa don't. Actually, it doesn't say that in the source I, that I've I'm looking s- up, but exactly. I heard among some white supremacists, uh, maybe it was back, goes back to the Nazis. I don't know. Yeah. This idea wasn't angel; it's more uh, it's more Darwinian. But there's mm. Neanderthal blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've, yeah, and, that, and that's come up a lot more lately. You know, with with the with the rise of white society. So, so yes, Neanderthal yeah. blood is, makes make, makes the Aryans <laughs> great and strong, and that's why <laughs> Europeans are superior. Yeah, it's all nonsense. Uh, well, it, I don't know. Yeah, but Jesse, I think you got to be. I don't know. You're a little bit too hard. I think on the whack jobs. A little bit. I mean, it's <laughs> he always is like, hard on the whack job. Like, if you take something like AA, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, about, now I don't know the numbers on this. How many people were actually helped by that? But you talk to someone, you know, like Stephen King, for instance. He's someone who, mm-hmm. you know, if you read his novels, I don't know his personal Lawrence experience Block. with it, but yeah. if you read his novels, he really like praises AA and the whole method. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people seem to have been helped by that. Mm-hmm. Same thing with yoga, right? Or acupuncture. Oh, that's, uh, that's what so, I'm saying is it's bullshit. My experience with acupuncture was I, I had a bad back and I was told go to the acupuncturist, see if it'll help. And what, what do I have to lose? Right. Mm-hmm. So I go there and I get stuck with a few needles and then I get like a 45 minute massage. What do you know? My back felt better. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, I, I thought it was the massage that probably did that more than the, mm-hmm. the, the needles. needles. Um, but yeah, I'm more. I'm actually more of on Jesse's side intellectually, but no. The I, I yoga is bullshit. There are but experiences. Also, 
valuable. I hear I'm like kind of like William James. I'm being kind of William Jamesy, and I think there are experiences mm. that are real to people and should be taken seriously. And then, as kind of a social historian, the fact that these ideas created social movements, you know, whether it's the Masons or or devil worship in Haiti under slavery or you know whatever it might have been that actually have concrete manifestations in often, often, not always, but often anti-authoritarian movements. Mm-hmm. Witches. I mean, that's why I kind of like dig Lovecraft's view of witches, because his view seems to be with Murray that witches were real, right? <laughs> and once, if, if it wasn't just sexist paranoia or religious paranoia that led to the witch hunts, if they're, you know, on top of that, if there really were subcultures of witches... Why did these people turn to witchcraft? What was their goal? You know, was it peasant survival strategies? Was it some kind of uh, alternative counterculture? You know, that's really interesting and cool stuff that I think we, that's why I don't want to be so hard on these nut jobs. Yeah, no, I, I'm I, look, uh, if, if yoga helps you, awesome. But just realize all that namaste oh, no, shit, no, no. complete no, no, bullshit. No. No, 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 no. Well, will it help you if you don't accept some of that? Like, yeah, 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 that's a good yeah, question. Yeah, but the, but the so you went in skeptical. With, you went in skeptical just, to your uh, your back yoga. treatment, right? It, it it it's not all it's not all in your head. Yeah, I mean the, the yoga yeah. instructor I work I work with, who's a friend of mine. I mean, she's not into the whole mystical stuff. She's more like the, the exercising these muscles because you're not using these muscles, or you're sitting too much on your yeah. ass at work and. And that'll make you feel better. She's not into the whole mystical energy thing at all. So it's more like Center your prana, Paul. <laughs> yeah, well, she doesn't care bloody about my prana. Neither do I. It's like, okay, this is this is how you get feel better because you have a desk job. So yeah. that's how it goes. So uh, that's the, why you go there's like, but people do go nuts. You know, the yogic flyers. Um, yeah, the, the, the people. It it it's because it has this sort of oldness is this oh, exoticness it's from elsewhere right um and it becomes it becomes a kind of a cult um most most or of the belief time, system i'm a cult, cult, i i or yeah just 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 just, just like a belief system that yeah well a belief system with some things cult. that are unfalsifiable is a cult right i, I would say um they, they can be very popular cults right and nazism was a very popular cult at one time uh, but it was uh, calling it a religion. I think that was more of a social movement than a than a cult. Well, political party too. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, it's all sorts like... of stuff, right? Um, but definitely, they were into some. Yeah, some... so I want to. I want to. Oh, yeah. yeah. I want to talk a- about anti enlightenment uh, kind of. I, I've in the Wikipedia entry. Um, there's a mention of Willie Lee for Vril, and uh, I just happen to have the issue of Astounding. Um, from May 1947, uh, where Willie Lee, who was uh, German but not a Nazi, um, he spent the war in the United States. Um, and, you know, he's famous for basically explainer articles in uh, about science in, uh, in Astounding. Um, mm-hmm. Wrote this uh, four or five, six, I don't know, ten-page article called Pseudoscience in Nazi Land. I'm just going to read a couple excerpts here. 
Uh, the Nazis did accomplish a remarkable series of scientific advances. This is the editorial introduction. Willie Lee explains in part how come. Nazi research seems to have been strictly on the shotgun technique. If you shoot enough holes in the unknown, something's, th- something's apt to drop in your lap. And the Nazis tried everything, anything, no matter how wild. So that introduction was probably written by um, uh, the editor uh, Campbell. But uh, there are some cool things in here. So uh, I, I like really like his introduction to this essay because it's, it's full of stereotypes and stereotypes are not always bullshit. Uh, when things get tough so that there seems to be no way out, the Russian embraces the vodka bottle, the Frenchman a woman, <laughs> and the American the Bible. The German <laughs> tends to resort to magic, to some nonsensical belief, which he tries to validate by way of hysterics and physical force. Not every German, of course, not every major, not even a majority, but it seems to me that the percentage of people so inclined in higher, uh, is higher in Germany than other countries. Um, and then he talks about, um, uh, about a meeting he went to eventually. He talks about a meeting he went to where he heard about some of this shit. So he says, in the days before the Nazis became an important term, Arisophy, A-R-I-O, Sophie, uh, could be seen occasionally in some newspapers. Then one day there was a small ad announcing a lecture on Arisophy, uh, Arisophy, I don't know how to pronounce it, by a man whose name I forget. It was stated that he was a disciple of the founder of Arisophy, Dr. Jörg Lanz von Liebens, uh, Liebenfels. It was also stated that priests would be uh, would not be admitted to the lecture. The lecturer, who tried hard to look like Albrecht Dürer, <laughs> the famous but long dead German painter, began his lecture with a statement that there were several human races, but skin color is not the most important criterion for distinguishing the races. He launched into an explanation of hidden importance of language, saying that figures of speech contain deep truths. Uh, this guy obviously read a lot of uh, Bulwer Lytton. Because he's famous for those, right? Um, uh, mo- the, then he launched into an explanation of the hidden importance of language, saying that the figures of speech contain deep truths, which in everyday usage are usually overlooked. People say, for example, quote, I can't stand that man's smell. Remember when the lecture was in German, where the figure of speech is used to express personal dislike for somebody, a dislike lacking specific rational reasons? Well, that just indicates that otherwise... Forgot, uh, the otherwise forgotten fact that various races have different smells. In short, it expresses revulsion at the other man's race. And then he, he, um, he eventually, uh, makes the connection to Vril. Uh, skipping down quite a bit here. The Arius offers could at least quote a few biblical passages in support of their ideas. They stated that their founder had been a quote unquote Catholic priest. Oh, sorry. A Catholic priest before, quote-unquote, he saw the light. Then the next group was literally founded upon a novel. That group, which I think called itself Wahrheitgesellschaft, Society for Truth, uh, is the translation, and which was more or less localized in Berlin, devoted its spare time to looking for Vril. Yes, their convictions were founded upon Bulwer-Lytton's The Coming Race, they knew that book was fiction. Bulwer Lytton had used the device in order to be able to tell the truth about this quote unquote power. The subterranean humanity was nonsense. Real was not possible, was not, po- real was not. Possibly it had enabled the British who kept it, 
as a state secret to amass their colonial empire. Surely the Romans had it, enclosed in small metal balls which guarded their homes and were referred to as uh, lares. For reasons which I failed to penetrate, the secret of Vril could be found by contemplating the structure of an apple sliced in halves. No, I am not joking. That is what I was told, and with great solemnity and secrecy. Such a group actually existed. They even got out their first issue of a magazine, which was to proclaim their credo. I wish I had kept some of these things, but I, I had enough books to smuggle out as it was. And he continues on and talks about, uh, you know, looking at r the outer world and the in inner world. And he talks about their hollow earth theory. And it's a fucking cult. It was a, it was a whack job cult. And, and, uh, it was totally into the Nazi, um, and SS stuff was mm -hmm. basically Bulwer Lytton gone. You know, they took Bulwer Lytton and gone says, mad. he's, he's actually, well, he's actually telling us a truth. It's just hidden in fiction. And yeah, that you, is you all, about the all Oscar, in, right? up in Will's business of, uh, you know, watching those shows that, <laughs> Up the nut jobs on. What are those shows called? Paranormal shows? Oh, the, the ancient aliens. Ancient aliens, right? So they take a, an actual fact about, uh, you know, ancient Egypt and then they go nuts. <laughs> forget yeah, but, about, uh, forget I, about. Sometimes they don't even start with an actual fact. Right? Well, there's yeah, that too. Like, yeah. this is a box that existed. Maybe it's a gateway to another dimension. Right. Yeah. Like, like, like. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, I mean, this is the whole theosophy movement. I don't think we've ever had a novel or a story on on this show where we actually touched on that like this one does. Mm -hmm. Madame Blatsky and the whole idea of secret masters. Well, hypnotism. And, there's some some of that is connected to it. Yeah, ancient knowledge and there's there's hidden truths in the world that if you unlock them, you can become master of the world. It, Past it was a lives. Whole, I, there's I all sorts of stuff. had a lot of this stuff there's in a, it. Yeah, there's a, there's a few out there, Paul. There, the, the, there's the... Um, yeah, she is a good example, but there was a, uh, a story called The Parasite by Arthur Conan Doyle. Conan Doyle is... No, I'm talking about... We haven't done it on the show. I mean, there was plenty of stuff that's come out of uh, this. Uh, that's a podcast episode, yeah. I mean, maybe yeah. you weren't on it, but it... Uh, Mayor wasn't the, on that the one. The parasite yes, is... But... is is it's like um, hypnotism can control your life basically, and and that's related to Blavatsky, it, the past life regression, all that, all that yeah. bullshit is is ultimately. I I was a priest in Atlantis. Yeah, no, not <laughs> yeah. really. Me too. We were the same dude. <laughs> How'd that happen? Never mind. <laughs> Remember that time that lady gave us a foot rub? That was really nice, right? <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't how there's two of us now. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the only way. Like, once you start like running any kind of criticism on these things, if everybody has past lives, uh, if you just run the numbers, the number of people alive far outweighs the number of right, right, right. Past, I mean, past six, people dead. So it doesn't right, work. If there's six billion people alive, seven seven billion people alive now, that means for, for past lives to be a thing, that means probably eighty percent of the people alive now are first around humans because. There's just not enough people have been lived throughout history for us to be all reincarnated. Yeah, so the only yeah. way to make this rationalized is is to say that we're we were both Cleopatra. <laughs> well, but maybe you were an animal in a past life. Like I think that you know, as like more and more animal life dies yeah, out, it makes sense that more souls would go into human are, beings. Uh, furries are getting so, in touch with it. So so so, 
So once upon a time, Jesse hunted me because I was a mammoth. That explains a lot. <laughs> well, you're so tasty. I had to. I had to eat you, Paul. Twenty thousand years later, I'm on this podcast every week, or almost every week. So it's time to. So talk did about- anyone look into the relationship of Theosophy and this book specifically? Because I was, I got the article here for mm-hmm. the Theosophy. Cool. Uh, the movement. The Theosophical Society established in 1875. So that's four years after mm-hmm. this, this book. But there's a lot of like stuff. If you read this article, the Wikipedia article that mm-hmm. is kind of wild and you can kind of see tied to this book. So this is, this is great stuff here. Uh, Theosophy teaches that human evolution is tied with this planetary and wider cosmic evolution. The secret doctrine, Lavosky advocated the idea of seven root races. Each of which was divided into seven sub-races. This might explain the, you know, the soul arithmetic. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but what do we got here? You got the Hyperboreans of pure spirit living in the North Pole. Don't forget about we Robert E. Howard. <laughs> we yeah. got the root race, pure spirit. We got the Lemuria, uh, which survived today as Australia and Rapa Nui. Blavatsky alleged that during the fourth round of the Earth, higher beings descended to the planet uh, and the sexes separated. Um, now, the fourth root race appeared living on the continent of Atlantis. They had physical bodies, but also psychic powers and advanced technology. She claimed that some Atlanteans were giants and built ancient monuments as Stonehenge. Mm. I guess this is their version of the ancient aliens. Mm-hmm. And that they made it with she animals, resulting in gorillas and chimpanzees. The Atlanteans were decadent and abused their power and knowledge. So Atlantis sunk into the sea, although various Atlanteans escaped, creating Egypt and the Americas. Uh, and then you get the Aryans as the fifth root, root, root mm-hmm. race. Yeah, that's uh, that's um, where the German the German Dooley Society is all about. The, right? the secret doctrine. I should look that up. It's, it seems it's after this, though. Or they're all they're all kind of reacting to the same sorts of ideas and kind yeah. of all emergent. Not not one coming out of the other, but all coming out of the same sort of cultural zeitgeist. Yeah, they yeah, took his I, I book and ran with I it. want the the cue for theosophy. What's the, the the text that's the root of all this stuff? Um, that's a good question. Maybe um, no one knows, but well, this is this is a a very important book in terms of that. But Blavatsky is is the one who, I mean, it's, uh, I, I mentioned Howard, all Clark Ashton Smith, uh, all of those. Um, what was it called? Um, amazing stories had this. A whole underworld, underworld civilization stories that what's what is that called? Edgar Rice Burroughs. Well, Edgar Rice Burroughs, yeah, but that's after. But in the in the forties, there was like a a huge thing in Amazing Stories. I think it was also in Fantastic Adventures. Um, it was just like the, there's basically there's this guy who's possibly schizophrenic who kept writing into the magazine saying this happened to me. This is a true story. Um, and then uh, when they started publishing these things, they were incredibly popular um, and also very controversial because a lot of people saying this is complete bullshit. doesn't make any sense. Physics doesn't work. <laughs> but they were supposed to be true stories. Um, eventually, it sort of died after after World War II. But it, there, there's, a, there's definitely a thirst for this stuff. A huge thirst for it, and I, so I don't think it dies out. It's just you got you got aliens now or something. Uh, but the thing is, is there's all sorts of 
all sorts of ones that, for example, a really good good one is the Northwest Passage. So again, I'm always relating it back to <laughs> um, my local geography, right? Northwest Passage was something that they, they had a vital and firm belief existed, and they had no evidence for it. The only it thing was, well, it was, a, it was like a wish fulfillment. Like we got to find a way. That's right. Better way to raise it. There is a way through. We know this fact. We just need to find it. And they kept sending expedition after expedition and expedition. Well, it turns out there is a Northwest Passage, but it was just not feasible to get through, right? With the technology they had. And also the fact that also you know, the climate at the time, the climate at the time was not in their favor. But they had no they had no reason to think that it was actually there because they just couldn't access it, right? So why did they why did they act on this basically faith belief? Well, same reason they went looking for Australia. They believed that Australia incognito was a place. Turns out they were right. It was not where they thought it was, yeah. right? Or, or, or the size it was, because there was an idea oh, there must be a balance of north and south land masses. So if there's so much stuff in the northern hemisphere, the bus again, why southern. is that? Why is that a, their? Why is that their firm belief? It has like they literally commissioned ships in their military to go looking for these things that they say exist, and they spend money after money. Oftentimes, not the military doing it, saying we need to do this. But rather, societies within the culture of the British had these ideas. You will go there and you will do this. We will fund it. So if you watched, uh, there was a recent TV show adaptation of, uh, what was it called? Um, uh, the Terror? Uh, about the HMS Terror? You guys yeah. know about this expedition? No. Okay, so there's a British ship. Um HMS Terror, 1813, specialized warship. Uh, it was a naval ship. And um, it was used as a sort of a Arctic uh, ex- or sub-Antarctic exploration vessel. But um, in 1840s, I want to say, they went looking for the Northwest Passage. And basically all, almost everybody died. They got stuck in the ice. And, and then they had to walk out and most of, most everybody died. I think, yes, a 67 people. Um, and it made huge news in Canada when they discovered it, you know, somewhere half, be- half between, uh, Baffin Island and the Beaufort Sea. Um, and, you know, basically there's arguments that they, all sorts of different problems were caused by, you know, their tins being full of lead and, you know, uh, cheap, cheap, uh, cheap work on the ship and that sort of thing. But the funding for the expedition, uh, or the fundings for the expeditions to save the, the people was like sort of crowdsourced amongst the upper intellectuals in the same way that the. the so you're saying it was kickstarted? Pretty much, basically, what happens is you've got these forces, right? You've got some society within, uh, for example, today. A lot of people think it seems to be a great idea to start a war with Russia. I don't understand why they think this is a good idea exactly, because, uh, you know, that'll end the world. But um, it, I think it's kind of like a grift that they sold themselves into uh, because, you know, there's a good, a bad faith belief. 
uh, belief that Russia is, you know, controlling the elections and Black Lives Matter and all sorts of crazy stuff. But that isn't, uh, you know, a particular soldier within the military. They just take their orders from, you know, uh, bosses who take their orders from politicians who take their orders from the people who elected them, right? They're donors, basically. So if you've got a, uh, a group of people who want something to happen because of reason X, like we need colonies to uh, sell our products to, military sort of gets its butt into gear and starts doing stuff because they take actual orders. So that's how I see like, like the Nazis wanted to expand their territories in the same way the Vrilia were always doing in this book, right? They needed breathing room. And what do they do when they get to a landfill of inferiors? They exterminate them. That's the real crazy thing about this book yeah. is that it is a blueprint for Aryan uh, yeah, Thule society is, yeah. beliefs. Nakedly, it wasn't that the Germans themselves said we need breathing room. It's that the Germans had within their society a group of fucking whack jobs who said, this shit is real, this is a blueprint, let's do it, right? And that's the crazy thing, is is there are books that get written, and then people adopt them as a belief system, despite the fact that they're fiction, right? And then they act upon them in order to see that in the world. It's why utopian fiction is so interesting, is that it says the world can be different. And then when a certain set of basically rich people with power, uh, get it into their head that this, this is, or at least middle-class people with power get it into their head, then they actually can go and like start revolutions or, or they can start, um, ways and means of getting control of the means and reins of power. That's the really crazy thing about this book, as opposed to the mound, which I don't think anybody's about to do because it's, they're basically aliens, right? That's the cool thing about the mound. And I regret not appreciating it at the time, but, uh, this is why I want, uh, Evan to talk about the mound and, and HP I want to talk story. about exploration a little bit. First. Sure. Sure. I, I think you sort of got, you got to where I wanted to jump in, but, mm-hmm. but maybe not as directly as I would have. You know, with these expeditions, the reason you look for the Northwest Passage is the same reason Columbus set out. You know, it's to get to the China mark. Right. Right. There was this mm-hmm. focus on that. And if you don't find it, if you don't find the Northwest Passage, well, you get Hudson Bay, right? Mm-hmm. Or Cook's three expeditions. If you don't find Australia, you don't find the Great Southern Continent, how many islands do the British still have claim to in yeah. the Pacific? Based on those expeditions, and, I love. you know the Malaspina, Spanish Malaspina expeditions. Mm-hmm. It was all about propping up the empire in the Pacific, and I think from the point of view of the state of the empire, you didn't have that much to lose. A crew, maybe. Mm-hmm. No, no, yeah, then, no. Right? It, it, yeah. it 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 doesn't it's cost you building, personally right? anything to invade Russia, unless it does, right? Yeah, <laughs> unless it backfires horribly. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, it wasn't like. they didn't run into a a continent full of uh, people with tanks, right? They ran into a a bunch of separate islands, and then there is a a continent down there that have stone technology. And, you know, that's not equipped for fighting uh, ironclads and, and, uh, you know, 
massive empires on the other side of the planet. So yeah, it, it well, can backfire. It it has backfired spectacularly um, with Nazism, but it generally it, it worked. It worked out at least at, at the time. And China's doing a new system, right? Their their col- colonial system isn't with tanks. It's with credit, right? And we'll build a port, and then you know we have a relationship. It's it's a different. It's not colonization. It's something else. But it's it's rhymes with colonization. Belt and Road Initiative, or whatever it's called. But as for the mound, mm-hmm. uh, who's here read the mound? Me. I have not. Just you. Okay. Well, yeah, it's one of. I, I have a, not. Okay. Yeah, it, it's when you buy like the Lovecraft anthology, it's just often not included because it was one of the collaborations. Mm-hmm. And the collaborations, if you don't know, they're kind of different groups. There's works that Lovecraft just kind of copy edited and glanced at and gave comments on. Mm-hmm. Ones he mostly wrote and those that he basically ghost wrote. And so the author of The Mound, Zelia Bishop, Lovecraft basically ghost wrote three stories for her. Now, she may have gave some initial ideas, and that was the case with The Mound. Mm-hmm. She gave the idea of just a, like an Indian mound in the West somewhere. It's a three-sentence summary. The local people. Right. It's and then it, Lovecraft's like, he used that. He used that idea, but he yeah. does. He bas- it's basically... It he discarded one of the three sentences. As, the the as three a, sentences a, are basically, one is, um, there is a mound near here where sometimes is seen a headless ghost. Sometimes it's a woman. That's the three sentences the, that the underwhelming contributed. scare, you know, Lovecraft's underwhelming scare that you talked about, I think it was last week. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it was after the podcast, mm-hmm. but... His underwhelming scare is a ghost. It's like, where did this ghost come from? It's actually just a, like a zombie dude mm-hmm. that you know survived from the Spanish conquests, from the time of the Spanish conquests. Um, anyways, where was I? At he, ta- he takes so, this premise and then yeah, he wrote this. No, but it's it's kind of a first draft. Maybe not really a first draft, but it it was written before at the Mountains of Madness. But there's a lot of connections in that they're both really detailed examinations of a antediluvian society that's existed and a continuously into some form a utopia yeah now there's not much connection between uh kanye i think that's how it's pronounced <laughs> kanye kanye uh in the mound and the elder things mm-hmm. very, a lot of differences they both have slavery but their slavery systems are very different the elder things create a slave race. The Kenyans just sort of conquer people and make them zombies and make them slaves. But um, I don't know. What were you thinking about the mound? I, what I was thinking about is rising and falling empires. This, hmm. the, in, in this novel, we have the coming race. Mm-hmm. That is the empire that the will mound. bring us down. In the mound, we have a decadent declining society mm-hmm. where their utopia has been basically mechanize whatever labor needs to be done is done by slaves so people are just engaged in there's no art no culture yeah so this is very essentially just people doing gladiator like fights they're experimenting with some kind of weird bodily abilities of like transporting themselves but there's basically no progress in the society and at that's all. So, that's what i so this is this is low crest you know of modern modernity you yeah read his letters at the time He's obsessed with this idea of machine culture. That's and also how machine culture is kind of a dead end. That's also mm-hmm. what yeah. I think is really interesting about this book, The Coming Race, 
is is that their culture is stagnant, right? They don't make mm-hmm. any new music, or or if they do, it's immediately forgotten after after the other kids clap and smile. But they have basically mummer mummers or what are they called? There's another basic mummer plays. They're basically like traditional Christmas plays that they put on, except they're not Christmas, right? Um, they they're uh, wordless and they. Then there's the traditional music and there's traditional books, but there is no new culture being formed. The only publications are news about like, um, you know, bear in the woods, or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. They, they, they talk about literature as ancient literature, which came something of romance and adventure, not to be found mm-hmm. in the writings of recent ages. So it's like they've like given all that up. And so I think of him, what he's saying is this is actually. It's kind of like if you think about what heaven is, if you're a Christian and you start thinking about what heaven is, there's lots of different definitions uh, on different uh, monotheistic religions, or not definitions, I guess, theoretical speculations that people tell the children, right? You know, you, you're going to get your 72 hoorays. Oh boy, when I get my hoorays, I'm going to be so sex randy in the afterlife. Wait, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Whatever. Hoorays. I like hoorays. Okay, dark-eyed hoorays, greatest thing ever. <laughs> Are they human? Do they get their own? When they die, do they get their own hoorays? Ah, uh, don't think about that. <laughs> yeah, you should, yeah, it's on the card. Uh, when you're, if you're a Christian, you go to heaven. You live in the kingdom of heaven with God forever in His mansion. He has many mansions. Um, you get your own house, right? Uh, Mormons, you get your own planet. Um, what are you gonna do there? Seems um, kind of stale. It, have you read? Have you? Um, Going back to Heinlein, God help us. We keep talking about Heinlein, Jesse, on the show. Have you ever read Job, the comedy of justice? Yeah, sure. And, and the heaven in there is boring as bleak. That's it's the like, point. Yeah. Why would you want to live there? I wouldn't. I don't want that heaven. Thank you. What Thank do you, you get to boring. do in the in the uh, real heaven? You get to be with your loved one forever. Thanks. That's you're kind of doing that anyways down there, right? Your hundred year hundred. 30 years. 100, 100, yeah, they have longer lifespans. And and the their their idea of excitement is talking about politics a little bit, <laughs> occasionally explaining to some wanderer from the upper earth. Well, but let's see anything the, about the society. I mean, because you start off, the kids um, do the work and they use their vril, and then at some age, they basically retire from that with their savings and do nothing for the rest of their mm-hmm. lives. It's a very, it's very a con- strange. It's, it's a, it's a pointing out, I think, how ridiculous the idea of utopia is, because it's such a stupidly uninspired even, utopia. Yeah, uh, you can read the, the books. books the books yeah, but, from but the no ancients. Any, that's right. But no and, one, no one writes any right. new books. There is no um, vigor, right? Despite how vigorous they all are with their real staffs, basically they have nukes that can tr- control. And, the, people and, with. And, and then and they the, also operate their robots to do, you know, they point their robot stick at <laughs> their real stick at some, some automaton and it does the work for them. They've got elevators. They've got wings. Obviously, they're not putting a lot of effort into uh, the flapping. Um, I, I, I want to talk a little bit more about Utopia. And I'm going to lead from one book into a book I was telling you before the podcast I was going to talk about. They're both choose your own adventure books. Yeah. So in in the Cave of Time, which is the first Choose Your Own Adventure book, it's number one. There there's one possible ending where you wind up in a what is an, an, an 
unmistakable utopian future. Everything's great. You can't go back, but everything's fine. You got plenty of books, other stuff to read. And there's even there's movies and there's even interactive movies. You can make the choice. And then the last line of it says one thing disturbed you. No one's made something made a new movie or book in a hundred years. Right. And I thought, oh my God, that's not a utopia. That's a dystopia. Exactly. exactly. It's like so, utopia is kind of sterile that so way. So that the the real world and the mound world are dystopias, but the mound one is very it is very um sort of reminiscent of Nazis and uh I don't know, United States. Uh, the, yes. the the Amer- the um the Lovecraft Utopia that I like is the is the Yithian one because even though they're basically the sexless plant yeah. plant creatures they're they're um, active in the sense that they are basically field researchers right now they they're kind of sad in their their um you know, library cataloging is kind of seems kind of boring, but when they're not cataloging and cross-referencing and writing essays about what they've cross-referenced, they are taking field research and you know occupying human bodies all over the, all over and not humans all over space and time, all, all over it's, space it's and it's time, a- adventuring anywhere. And it's like uh, the roller coaster by Alfred Bester. Basically, they take over your body and do whatever the fuck they want with it. And then, but, but you know, that's doing, traumatic for the creatures. They're doing it for research. Yeah. And then, and then they get visitors from these places in the body of the Ithians. So the, that, that kind of utopia seems like way cooler. You know, he's a prisoner, I mean, I, sure, but, uh, he's, he's a prisoner that, uh, isn't being maltreated. He's just, you know, unfortunately, this is the way we do our research. Sorry about that, bud. <laughs> He's stranded in time, but he's stranded in time with lots of things to read and do, and people from all across time and space to right. talk to. So it's an experience. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's and even if that, you get your mind wiped, um, it wasn't it wasn't terrible punishment. Uh, sure, it's traumatic and stuff, but we got a great book out of it, <laughs> right? Like it, it's there is a kind of vigor there that you don't see in this underworld of real. It it it. It's like, it is, it's like a terrible, boring heaven, except it's underground. I mean, I, I, the worst thing about that world, the real world, is, mm-hmm. is they're so, everybody's the same, right? The same, the sameness of everybody. So if you're, if your kid is a little bit ugly, um, they just destroy it. And if your kid is a, I don't know, birth defect, they destroy it, not that they mention that it happens much, right? But if there's any kind of nonconformity, it's solved. And and we know how great they are because there are no policemen, right? Everybody just does what's necessary. Oh, I I need to be the chief person here. The the explanation for how the economy works, very, very poor. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. Really doesn't they, they're trading with neighbors. What, what what about these handicrafts? What what kind of things do they need? They got drill staffs and automatons. Right? Well, come on. What I um, think they so, covers that badly because he knows it's bullshit. You can't have an economy so, in heaven. Yeah. An economy yeah, in heaven, yeah, that is BS. So I want to talk briefly about the Underground Kingdom, which is another choose your own adventure book. 
mm-hmm. which is kind of a whack job of a funeral arrangement book. I mean, it's not as whacked up as say hyperspace, which is just just goes weird, weird meta. But anyway, in the underground kingdom, in the plot of this, there's apparently some long time ago a black hole hit the Earth, goes down to the center, and is now sitting at the center. And so the center of the Earth is not only hollow, but the black hole cools the cools the underground so that you can actually live under there. It's kind of it, it it's a really stupid scientific way to try to make a hollow Earth actually feasible. Mm-hmm. And so in the plot of in the plot of the book, you actually wind up going down into this into this underground kingdom. And so there are there are kind of Neanderthal subhumans who live in the dark. And then there's these that, now you can see why I thought of this when I was reading this book. There's these angelic, bird-like creatures with these gorgeous wings that fly around, which are a higher species of life that apparently mm. rule the underground kingdom. And as I was listening to this book, I was like, oh, okay, see where you still got that from? Mm-hmm. These flying world. It's like, okay, you're doing you're doing the thing. And now I finally, thirty years after reading this two world adventure book, finally can connect that mm-hmm. together. Like where stealing this from and yeah that that underground kingdom is supposed to be utopia but it's not no uh will you want to talk about pellucidar and their uh their creatures that can winged creatures that control the human beings animals yeah i do i kind of want to get there get closer uh, to your mic uh oh okay yeah i want to get there uh uh by way of uh talking about what i thought was the most interesting thing about this book Mm -hmm. uh which was the uh uh, relationship uh, between uh, uh, the Anna and the the Gies, the, mm. the men and the women. Um, That's a, a good chunk of this book, maybe 45, 50%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a sociology of this. Yeah, it's Feminism. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's that and it's, um, I mean, I, I just found that part of the novel to be like the most interesting because it's just like, um, you know, uh, like you're you're revealing things when you're like uh setting up this kind of satire right you're mm-hmm. like revealing things about yourself mm-hmm. um so I, I thought that was interesting you're, you're really talking did... about you're talking about bulwer Lytton saying he likes masculine women I, I mean maybe i'm not sure if that's what he's saying i'm not quite sure what he's saying um well he's, uh, in, he's interested in the idea anyways Oh yeah, he's he's very fascinated by it, and uh, um, you know what I I just uh, uh, it's not just the masculine women though. It's so uh, what what does uh, every gi do uh, once she like woos and on right? Uh, like she hangs up her wings that's forever. Right. That's right. Yeah, I didn't like that at all it's like what you're gonna give up everything up for a man you're told society and you're just gonna toss it all over what the heck and even if you become a widow you don't really get back that status it's yeah about that's victorianism it. i think it, it, it just reverse the genders here and it makes a lot more sense right oh yeah yeah but it, it's very fascinating so i thought that was uh super fascinating i also thought the uh the whole like um you know the geese are just like they're really good at like um, like uh, pretending to be really into the stupid hobbies of their husbands <laughs> uh, and like they're able to like coax them along um, and like uh, my sense is like the men are too stupid to notice uh, 
And I mean, he's he's satirizing. Uh, at that point, he's no longer like in this like masculine women mode. He's yeah. actually just satirizing uh, like normal bourgeois marriage yeah. <laughs> yeah. during his period. Um, so I thought that was uh, I thought that was uh, really interesting. Um, and so uh, uh, we got a uh, a pretty cool um, essay that uh, uh, Rebecca Bowman mm. uh, at Arkham librarian uh, wrote in one of her uh, graduate programs, I believe, uh, uh, connecting this novel to uh, uh, She by H. Ryder Haggard, which mm-hmm. we did on the show fairly recently, mm-hmm. and uh, At the Earth's Core uh, by Edgar Rice Burroughs. And so the the gender thing is like a like a connection between all of these mm-hmm. things. I don't um, forget Alice's Adventures Underground. Alice's Adventures Underground. Yeah, I thought that was very fascinating that that was the original title mm-hmm. of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. It was? Uh, I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Alice's Adventures Underground. And then the the Queen of Hearts is is another one of these figures, mm-hmm. uh like Aisha or Z. Yep. Uh um and so I mean the the connection between uh Z and Aisha is just like uh pretty straightforward. Um Aisha is like uh the like dark version uh, of of this like really self-effacing uh, superwoman. Mm-hmm. Um and uh the gender connection with uh, at the Earth's core I had totally forgotten about this. So uh the villains in uh this uh inner earth fantasy by Edgar Rice Burroughs are this uh beings of uh like intelligent pterodons called the Mayhars, mm-hmm. I think is how it's pronounced. Mm-hmm. Um and uh I had forgotten this. I read this book like ten years ago. Um so here's the thing about the Mayhars is they're all women. <laughs> and they figured out how to reproduce uh without um men. So they killed all the men. <laughs> the coming they race. They killed all the men. <laughs> they killed all the men. Yeah, and I mean and they're these ter- like like hideous pterodactyl beings, um, and they dominate. And then, they dominate the, all the creatures. The men like Pelucidar, yeah, yes, they, with their mental eat, powers. Yeah, with their mental with their mental powers, much like you know, uh, uh, you know, well, uh, Victorian wives. <laughs> yes, right. Like, correct. That's the it, that's the connection there. Borrower um, Linton is looking at his own wife askance while he's typing this or writing this. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, I may, yeah. I might be the for, I, I might be the colonial minister, but she's really running my life. <laughs> he looks over at her and it's like, oh shit, she's she looking. I hope she doesn't read this. I, I'll, I'll, I'll put it out anonymously. <laughs> I'll put it out anonymously so my wife won't get upset with that's me. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a possibility, right? Like that's, uh, that's the psychological universe uh, of, uh, uh, of this kind of fiction. Um, the uh and that's why uh, that's why co- I think that's such a great book uh at their score is is basically what happened is Edgar Rice Burroughs knows about this underworld sort of fiction that that people have been writing about including himself um uh, although he's one of the earliest ones um and Bulwer Lytton and then he says okay cool 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 um let's put a an actual heroic cool guy down there and not make it a satire yeah, he, it's an adventure. his protagonist is the same protagonist uh, 
like David Ennis is like the same guy as our unnamed protagonist in the coming race, but he's just like a successful imperialist. Yes. And, like and he get he, he gets his way. He, he gets like the, yeah. queen, the king's daughter. And he improves greatly on like like the actual physical design of this under earth world is way cooler. Right. Uh, the explanation for how they get all their light. Uh, sucks in Vril. I, I don't, uh, you know, they got all yeah, these fields. Yeah, they kind of high wave it. Yeah, it's fucking terrible. Um, as and, and that's again, it's a satire, right? It's it's it reads a lot more like Thomas More's Utopia than it does like like uh, a, a rip roaring adventure like at the Earth's core. But at, in the at the Earth's core, like there's a uh, an inner uh, moon like hanging in the sky. It's daylight all the time, and and we're walking if you're in, down there you're walking upside down right you're humans are you're walking, walking on, the in, yeah, on the inner surface like this goes back right. to the underground kingdom where you have a black hole which is black but you have the 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 warm areas around providing exactly. the low light so yeah so so, it, so it's, it's yourself in blucidar too apparently yeah so, I, I think all that stuff goes back to to john cleave sims jr who is this like real person mm-hmm. um uh uh, 1780 to 1829, uh, American army officer, trader, and lecturer. He, uh, trader he was, or traitor. Trader. Like, okay. uh, I okay. trade goods. Good, good. Um, I trade lives. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, but, uh, he had an 1818 hollow earth theory that's like basically Pellucidar. Mm. Uh, so, uh, uh, Burroughs kind of lifted all of that from like, uh, this guy who was like one of these grifters or, mm-hmm. uh, scientific thinkers depending on how you think about it well that's the thing is is you know if you say australia uh terria australia terriatel terriatelis or whatever it's called exists um and then you get there and you name a continent uh that then it does exist right it did exist um the one i was thinking about this week there's an island off the south i'm obsessed with weird islands i guess we talked about that in a after show um, yeah, Kerguelen and stuff like that. But um, there's an island called Thule, T-H-U-L-E, right? This is one of those um, uh, Nazi SS societies. Yeah, it, Ultima, Ultima Thule. I Thule believe, and yes. Ultima Thule. But, uh, yeah. you know, it's also in Poe, so it's pre, way pre-Nazis. Uh, and it's... it's, it's like, again, what what does that same... translate as, actually, Paul? Ultima Thule? The, uh, the utmost Thule, the, the yeah. furthest most. The yeah. last place, or yeah, 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 the the furthest place. So th- this island down there, right? It, it's got Thule's got it's it's from ancient Greek, right? It's it's like um, another place. Well, like, well, 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 Thule's actually Latin. I, I mean, they I think they got it getting from the, it from the actually, Greeks. yeah, they're getting from the Greeks, but Thule's actually a Latin. So what, in one argument that is that like Iceland is Thule, right? And so you get a lot of Thule northern stuff, but it, we've also got this sub. Uh, it's it's off the coast of Antarctica, but it's not actually in Antarctica's. You know, it's not an Antarctic island. It's a, it's north of that. But this is like they named this island on purpose because they're saying th- there is this tradition. There are these places like Lemuria. And there are these places like Atlantis. They're in the literature. So it all connects, right? Their theory, their, their theory is that this isn't coming from bullshit. There's something there. 
And so when yeah. they find this weird island in the middle of nowhere that's got a volcano in the center of it and it's inaccessible, they say, oh, it's Thule. And then they find some other island and say, this is Thule too. And then eventually, but, you know, map makers settle and they choose which one is the actual yeah. ultimate right. Thule. <laughs> the original on the map was uh, Pliny the Elder in his natural history said there Thule was an island six days north of Britain by sea. Right. So it could be Orkney, depending on how slow your boat yeah, is. They, they, or it could be, uh, what are we going to say? Yeah, yeah, probably, prob- probably the Orkneys, but no. I mean, because they weren't. No, I mean, because it, you're not, you're not selling, you're not selling from the Oplos north of Britain because they, because the, the, there are islands the Romans that never are north. got that far north. I mean, no, but I mean, there, it, maybe the pharaohs, <laughs> the pharaoh, the pharaohs sound right. I mean, the Faroe it's more Islands, than six not days. the pharaohs of Egypt. <laughs> no, no, the Faroe Islands, yes, right. because it's more than six days sailing from from Britain to Iceland. So I'm thinking yeah. probably the pharaohs is what they're thinking. Yeah, we we don't really know, but uh, they, they're getting know. it from and the it's, and it's hardly Greeks. the point. Yeah, and that's right, the point but, is but, but people adopt the idea these... that there's something far always out there. So this is why the, there there are whack jobs who think the Necronomicon is a real book, right? Or act as if they do, or grift themselves into believing that there is, and that they're making it, and that reconstruction recreates it. Like people are fucking weird, so they take these fic- obviously fiction books that are designed to be fiction books, um, but because they have that plausibility of uh, uh, "I am uh, from America." <laughs> I mean, at some point, it's a, it, 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 yeah, it becomes critical thinking. That's that's why I love uh, when I teach students essay writing. I say, well, if you want to read uh, write about essay, you got to read the best essay ever written. And so we read a modest proposal by Jonathan Swift, which says, you know, I heard from that's an American a really relation. Word one to teach essay on. <laughs> Absolutely not, because it's it's a persuasive essay. <laughs> The problem is, is if you don't but it's actually also satire. twig, yeah. yeah, but how do you know it's satire? At one point, you twig to it. And if you don't, then you go through the whole thing and say, you know, this isn't such a bad idea. <laughs> the thing is, it did provide outrage, right? People were upset, not because he was making such a rude joke. They thought it was real because not everybody twigs to this stuff. And the thing is, is it says, you know, it's got all this plausibility. He sets it up so perfectly so that eventually you, you should twig to it. As soon as <laughs> when Evan read that quote, right, that that's when I knew this book is a satire because he's saying this is the perfect system. And they talked a lot about how democracy, you know, was going to take over the world. Or he, t- he says it's going to take over the world. And then they're saying, well, you're saying that old men should act like uh, young kids, right? <laughs> That the United States being a young kid is acting well, in it, this hyperactive way, uh, giving, uh, power of government to uh, anybody willy nilly. And they're saying, you know, old countries of Europe are going to adopt that. Dude, that's why the United States still goes around saying democracy, 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 because they believe that shit. That's the funny part is he's actually making fun of the United States and their policy of, uh, it's right in that quote, Monroe doctrine, right? This is ours. We're going to make it in our image. It's like, well, yeah, what if... So does that make him then a, a defender of, like, of the Victorian marriage, then? Of the, of the because, Victorian marriage? I think he must be, yes. Yeah, so yeah, if, this... Because I think, satire or not, I think he sort of gets marriage right here. Uh, quote, from the incident I have narrated, 
the Anna dates certain alterations in marriage customs, tending perhaps to the advantage of the male. They now bind themselves to wedlock only for three years, and at the end of each year, either male or female can divorce the other and is free to marry again. At the end of 10 years, the aunt has the privilege of taking a second wife, allowing the first to retire if she so <laughs> please. These regulations are for the most part dead letter. Divorces and polygamy are extremely rare, and the marriage state now seems singularly happy and serene among this astonished people. Right, right. So when I read that, I thought of um, uh, Muta. You guys know about Muta? Mm, mm. No. Uta marriage, it's, uh, there's Hadith on this, and I think it's subtly in the Quran maybe, but I think it's mostly coming from Hadith. Uh, this is a form of temporary contractual marriage mm. that was used in Islam for many centuries. And essentially it was kind of the same idea, that you have two people who establish a, I mean there's a dowry, mm. and then some time limit. And this could have kind of been vulgary in a vulgar sense, been seen as kind of a loophole for prostitution, mm-hmm. but that's not really mm-hmm. what it was. Because, you know, if you're a merchant, if you're a traveling merchant or something, going to be in some some town in Morocco for, for four or five years or something. Right. Yeah, you, you set up a contractual marriage for five years, right? Yeah. But I actually think when you look at, like, divorce rates, when you look at broken marriages. That's what we and, have now. And, we have Muta marriage. This, there's some it's wisdom in this. There's some wisdom in it. Yeah. yeah. And just kind of making this the norm. You know, because I think young people still, they get their kind of image of relationships Dude, from romantic comedy. it's so comedies. propaganda. It's they watch, yeah, they watch the romantic comedy. That's why I think every romantic comedy should have a post credit scene where, like, the man moves into a man cave or <laughs> they fight over breakfast. It's like the Marvel <laughs> Universe of the... Uh, yeah, and credit scenes where you see actually after the happily ever after, this is now his life. He's like, I, but yeah, I, I think in this sense, I think the Muslims and... sort of have a really good idea that we could learn from. But I don't know if 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 our author here was a lot of science fiction writers at all in the seventies. Like you, you'll read yeah. an old Robert Silver book thing, and he says my month wife was. Telling me this. Oh, yeah. I, well, yeah oh, yeah. I contracted my wife for 10 years, That's also years. in the, yeah. that last Westlake we did um, where he's living in a utopia, in a tower utopia, the, uh, the spy in the elevator. And he's going right. to – he gives – he says, um, will you be my temporary wife? In fact, I just tweeted a uh, cover that had the temporary wife, right? This He is absolutely satirizing all sorts of stuff. And it's, it's like that real stuff is, it's kind of like power. It's just like, who's going to have the power? Is it going to be you? Is it going to be the man? We're going to give it to the, the kids. We're going to give it to the adults. How do we choose all this stuff? And I think ultimately he says, uh, you know, things aren't that bad. Just keep things as they are and let it, let it move around. Um, this coming race, the, this group of, of greater people, I think it's him satirizing religion a little bit. Just saying, you know, uh, the the afterworld isn't going to be what you think it is. It's 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 kind of bullshit. <laughs> it sounds it sounds stupid. In fact, I I don't know anything about the, the, what we're letting. The, yes, the the, 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 the reflected religion, kingdom of earth is not good. Yeah, of heaven is not great. I mean, it's it's it's. It's a dull and boring utopia, and that this is, 
And, 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 and I mean, the, the whole quote-unquote horror point of then that, that these people are eventually going to come swarm out and take over the earth. Like that's a that's a that's a really unhappy result because these people don't have literature mm-hmm. or culture really. They're 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 so they're they have stagnant. their kids. Yeah, yeah, they have their kids just do stuff and then they and retire and do nothing. They're stagnant and yet they are continuing this this Lebensraum thing, right? Where they're sending out like Greek colonies every couple of years, and I don't know how they're digging these tunnels. And like, why doesn't the roof? Uh, they talk a little bit about you know people whose job it is to prevent earthquake damage or whatever. But there yeah, seems to be a lot so of that. It's too hot. Yeah, and, I, and he gets the physics all wrong because uh, he, at, he just says, depth. "Well, it turns out that that was wrong." <laughs> right? Yeah, that's. Sorry, physics, phys- physics and geology. Well, in Pellucidar, he he waves, figures out a way to make that. You know, they pass through this hot zone and then it goes back into a cool zone. It doesn't doesn't really work or make any sense. But that's not the important part. Uh, the important part nope. is they they have to have a place for like this could have easily been an alien planet. Um, well, this could have been you know uh, under a mountain, a particular mountain. But he he's making it. They are. Yeah. A threat that is oh, now, there's, there's an interesting thought now, now you put under the mountain I mean that almost kind of like gives like a sense of fairy and under the hill sort mm-hmm. of thought to this where and 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 oh now, now I'm, I'm thinking a lot of I think I he even mentions thinking. the little people in this doesn't he I he think might, that got a but, little one word shout out but, one lines shout out I can search but it, but the, but the whole one 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 of the strands in in elves, and we we see that in we we saw that in the King of Elfland's daughter, among other things, is the inability of elves to make new culture. They have to basically steal, borrow, or just reuse the stuff they mm-hmm. already have. And this culture is kind of like that because they don't they don't make new the the what bad efforts they make at new culture kind of flop like a fish mm-hmm. it's like this just kind of stuck in the patterns of their old old books old plays old but old, they're uh, so very successful at what they're doing right which is reproducing which is they're, crazy because they don't seem to be that sex sex addicted they, 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 they have a i mean i mean in civilization six terms they have a high sky and score but their culture sucks mm. so, so so they're, they're stunted so I, I want to mention i don't think there's a ton to bring to it uh, but a journey to the center of the earth by uh, Jules Verne. Um, mm-hmm. He it's kind of a proto version of um, the Pellucidar books. You know he they go oh, down and in, that reminds me of something else. But finish this. I want to yeah, this they go down else. and through a volcano in Iceland. Um, there is a previous that expedition. Yep. Um, and and then they come out. They have a journey down there. It's pretty pretty quick journey. Um, they see that there is life under the earth with ancient dinosaurs. The stuff about tigers and there's a, yeah, maybe we should talk about that, ti- the tiger and the parasite tiger. Um, <laughs> parasite, parasite, parasite tiger. Um, uh, they come out through Italy, um, in a volcano. Yeah, Mount Etna. Uh, it's not Mount Etna. Remember, no, no, we talked, Etna. we talked it's about this. It's Stromboli. Yes. Stromboli. I keep mixing that up. Yes, you do. I keep mixing that up. Uh, because I, 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 I might be mixing up because there's the audio book Return to the Center of the Earth, which is narrated by Patrick Stewart where they come out in Mount Etna. Okay. And I keep mixing it up with the original. Mm-hmm. But what, what I wanted to think of in that, and that, and that, that, 
because this ties in these things nicely. Jesse, because you out of the out of the other people on this podcast might remember it other than I do. Do you remember the cartoon Journey to the Center of the Earth? I don't think so. It w- it was a it was an early seventies cartoon, basically descendant of Arnie Sacknusom and and this evil and this evil count basically get trapped in tunnels heading to the center of the earth. They basically have adventures and there's a duck involved. Yes, I know. <laughs> but but at one point I, I, and and most of the, most of the episodes are just kind of like dealing with natural hazards or or weird creatures. Or but at one point. I remember too much about this cartoon. If you can ever find it on Torrent, please let me know because okay. I'd like to actually watch it again. But anyway, there's one episode where they find a lost underground civilization and city. And they think it's the city of gold that they've been looking for all along. And, and they're, they're kind of like this decadent Greekish culture. And at one point, the, the, the head of the, the head of the good guys, not the bad guys, figures out that the chariot that they're riding in, that they're taking them around, is fool's gold. And they realize, no, this is not where we want to be. We <laughs> want to get the heck out of here. These people are bad. And so they have to escape the city and then continue on their on their trip to the center of the earth following uh, the evil guy and trying to find a way home and whatnot. Mm-hmm. It, this, 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 such was the stuff of my, of my youth growing up was cartoons like this. But that's kind of like the whole decadent, crap, trapped culture has this underground city, but yeah, but they're not, they're, they're kind of sterile in a way, kind of like, kind of like these people with their vril. They don't advance their culture. Well, what do you, what do you make? And I, I, I want to hear Evan's thoughts on this. Cause I, I think, mm-hmm. I think there's something really interesting going on. When he talks about the, uh, who is it? It was it the daughter, or, I don't know, some household lady who had written there. Are, all those scholars are female, right? Had yes. written a, her dissertation on, the parasite that lives between the toes of the the claws of of their version of a tiger, and then <laughs> he tosses off this line saying, "The ti- uh, the parasite looks exactly like a miniature version of the tiger itself." I'm like, "What is he saying there? Is that like uh, is he making fun of like that's not how parasitism usually works, right? We don't have an insect." With uh, a giant insect with a giant uh, with a tiny insect parasite on it, they're different species, right? Completely unrelated. But there's a whole thread we haven't even touched on about the fro- uh, the descendants from frogs. Yeah, the frog. Yeah. So what is going on with that? What is he saying? I don't know. I was wondering you to tell me because I couldn't figure that out. What I think frog he's making thing. fun of somebody, the Petrachianness of <laughs> of. Of this species. Um, so I think it's kind of in contrast with the angels, right? <laughs> Their angels are, are, um, you know, high up and birds are, you know, symbols for all sorts of love and etherealness and all that stuff. But frogs, <laughs> salamanders, they're down and dirty in the muck, right? Um, and, you know, birds sing like angels is what we think. And frogs like croak. <laughs> so uh, yeah. when he says that, you know, these are descendants of, of frogs, they are, I mean, he's, he's aware of, of what, what, uh, Darwin's laying down. Is he making mm-hmm. fun of it? Or is he making fun of, of the people who, who claim, you know, that we're not? Because 
it's all over the place. I can't figure it out. I think the interesting thing about the frogs was this kind of moral debate that kind of built up around how the frogs should be interpreted mm-hmm. or something. It, it's it's doesn't doesn't he describe a, a kind of academic argument mm-hmm. among these people over like what like are we descended from frogs or or are are the frogs descended from on or mm-hmm. the other way around or something? Is that right? Yeah. 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 Well, ba- Bauman didn't mention that, that this right be, at all that, in, that her, in her 30-page analysis. It's it's not really okay. about that. I see. Yeah, yeah. She didn't touch on that at all. The uh um I mean, it's it's incredibly rich whatever it is uh going on with the frog and you know, I mean, maybe there's some uh, Victorian here thing that's being hit right mm-hmm, on the nose mm-hmm. that, that we're not able to follow. But like just as like uh, as like wondrous lore about the uh, uh, about the Vrilya is that they have this like cultural belief uh, that they are descended from frogs. And like, you know, the like scientists and philosophers have like really argued each other's in circles about it. And, uh, you know, it's a it's a contemplative thing. Uh, no matter how great we get, we'll never be as perfect as a tadpole because um, we're like, you know, we've imperfected ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas a tadpole is like totally perfect. Um, I mean, maybe there's a uh, maybe in that there's a kind of uh, conversation about, uh, you know, like decadence, like the like tadpole is like vital and uh simple and then we have this like uh you know decadent aristocratic society that's like complicated mm-hmm. so here this is this is good the moralists were divided in opinion with the naturalists so that, that's the two sides right mm-hmm. but the bulk of them sided with the frog preference school they said with much plausibility that in moral conduct there could be no doubt of the vast superiority of the frog all hum- all history showed the wholesale immorality of the human race the complete disregard even of the most renowned among them of the laws with which they acknowledge to be essential to their own and general happiness and well-being. But the severest critics of the frog race could not detect in their manners a single aberration from the moral law tacitly recognized themselves. This this kind of is this, the monkey trial, I guess, mm-hmm. in, in a way. It's definitely uh, referring to the yeah. idea that this idea that we are related to another species mm-hmm. Uh, on the planet yeah. and there there is some sort of descent going on and really this is my point about like so when <laughs> right now they're still talking about it and on the TVs <laughs> uh racism 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 white superiority black power blah 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 right so all of this if you just really understand what the word means racist is a person who believes in race they think that race is a thing an they think often these people also think of of uh an ascent and possible descent but more more likely ascent and a race up a ladder a physical a foot race up a ladder of evolution they don't understand that that's not how evolution works there isn't a ladder there were uh time periods probably where there was not multicellular organisms and then there was multicellular organisms and after that basically it's just diaspora right it's filling all the niches so they don't understand that they think that there are lower and higher races getting into the idea of neanderthals and 
you know, these people are descendants of this tribe and that tribe and, you know, mixing, blood mixing. All of this shit is bullshit. It's not science. Uh, you can't detect science with, with, uh, you can't detect, um, genes and tell people what their race is because that's not how it works. There are ethnic types. There are, uh, collections of rare, uh, genetics that are only available in some ethnic groups, uh, or less common, but it, it doesn't really work that way. So I want to point to, uh, don't type for a minute, Paul. I can hear your keyboard very loud. Um, the, the Vrilya, this is from Bauman quoting her, but she's made it much more succinct. The Vrilya have skin color, quote, like that of a red man, quote, and they are beardless. They have, quote, the gravity of and quietude of Orientals, unquote, and male and female look more or less alike, right? The, the only major size difference between them is size. And this actually leads into the frog stuff. Right. So most, most mammals, uh, are most, uh, big sex animals, <laughs> um, have, uh, or in, even insects have the females bigger. Right. So frogs, that's usually the case. Birds, uh, it can go either way or they can be identical. Um, spiders, uh, all sorts of, all sorts of different creatures. And in humans, Males are bigger for some reason, but you know, there's weird animals like hyenas too, which have the females bigger and they have way more testosterone than the males. It's like, weird. I thought this had to do with like, like sex, like, uh, whether it was like sperm competition or competition, like for, like, you compete for a mate or does the sperm compete for the mate? Uh, mm-hmm. That's the way it was explained to me. So, like, if if you have, like, rams or something, mm-hmm. and it's about who can bang the head better or whatever, right. they're going to get those big horns, right? right? It won't be about the size of the animal so much, but the horns will be bigger on the male, right? Because mm-hmm. it's about that. But, like, in gorillas, you got, like, much larger males than females mm-hmm. because it's, like, who's ever the biggest male gets yeah, can, all the... Yeah, he can yeah. gather up his tribe. So, so he doesn't need... But in humans, in species that have well, think of peacocks, more equal size. Right? Peacocks it's, it's, are all yeah, display, like this, right? And yeah, it's a different birds, type of competition. Different yeah. kinds of competitions. Se- sexual selection is based on some sort of proof that your genes aren't shit, right? So yeah. if you can, uh, one of the ones I really like that's really hilarious is they'll they'll talk about the drink why drinking contests and showing off in parties. Like there, there, there was um some guy they had on one of these documentaries. He was drinking diesel, uh, to show uh how tough he was. You know, <laughs> like um that's not good for you, man. <laughs> Don't drink diesel. It's getting you the wrong high. Um, it's you know. But the 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 point of these uh, alcohol contests is like it's to show that you can take it. The honest signal thing when a when a baby springbok is born. Right. They come out with the ability to walk, unlike humans, and they can run around in like five minutes. Right. So what do they immediately do? They've been prancing about jumping high and showing that they're not subject to predation like any of the other springboks being born that aren't able to do this. Right. So it's a it's a way of indicating that your material is good and not worth wasting your time on in case of predation 
or in case you know you go to the gym and you buff out your muscles you use artificial uh uh i don't know stimulants to make your your presence better you add rug to the top of your bald head and you dye your hair right this is all <laughs> this is all in in a way of subconsciously indicating your quality so when we make the females bigger everybody beardless the skin color red he's challenging all sorts of assumptions and then that sequence where i mean he talks about it theoretically and then our protagonist says um you know i blushed like a girl when when the girl complimented yeah. when the girls complimented me on my on my uh, choice of clothing <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was very weird i mean but if, if, it was great it was hilarious <laughs> because he's he's putting but here's the thing jesse yeah like back to the gorillas yes the gorillas because the males don't they compete physically to to compete with other men like in the battlefield right right, right. to dominate the harem or whatever right mm-hmm. they've evolved incredibly tiny penises Mm-hmm. But humans and chimps, they have much larger testicles and penises because they're competing on a different level. Mm-hmm. Right? So in the species with the larger, with the, where you don't have that uh, gender dimorphism, is that the right word? Yeah, dimorphism. Yeah. That there's still a competition, but it's a competition at a different level, right? That's yeah, there's why, all yeah, sorts of like, different ways of... It's like sperm competition, mm-hmm. for instance, is... Is more common among like bonobos and humans. That's right. what I've heard anyway. Yeah, uh, dogs, <laughs> male and female are are same size, right? Um, they, they they do different sex things um, than other animals, right? Um, and and it, the domination uh, game, uh, you know, who's going to mount who, is a thing. Yeah. Um, but they also don't raise their like. What's the point of a family in this in this world? It seems kind of like as soon as basically we don't even see nursing, but as soon as they're as soon as they're um I don't know uh, they don't go to school, right? Really? No, but that's why the like the the marriage idea here is kind of it's ridiculous useful for us because if we're getting to like a fertility rate of like one, yep. which we're quickly getting to globally. Mm-hmm. Meaning your average, the average woman will have like one child in her lifetime. Mm-hmm. What is the point of marriage at that point? It's a very good, very good question. And I yeah. think, I think, uh, you know, you, you say in this story, if you flip it around, it seems to be the, the female pursuit is the, is the females want to pursue the males, but for, you know, and then immediately they become submissive. It's like, yeah. that's yeah, it's kind like- of, kind of a whack idea. Um, it, it, to have those both in concurrence because he's having his cake and eating it too. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a male fantasy. It's a male fantasy. Oh, the women are going to chase you, and then when when they pick you, then they're going to docilely do what you want. Yeah, it's it, it's it's just male. Yeah, male but it, I don't. I don't, th- I don't know if it's a male fantasy because the the men are kind of disempowered. It's, yes, it's it's what but, you yeah, would but, get. But, but, if, but, 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 but before a narrator, it is. I mean, I mean, he has he has basically quote well, unquote, prince, a princess going. Yeah, yeah, being pursued. But by he's him, also so. even smaller, I think, than the regular males, right? But they're all perfect. If we had perfect a world in Aryan which, specimens like, or whatever. 
what's the comic that dealt with this? Why the Last Man? Yep, yep. Like, yeah. If, if 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 we can figure out a way in which all and Philip Dick wrote a novel about this too, and he didn't like explore the gender angle as much as he should have, mm-hmm. I think. But it's called Doctor Futurity. Mm-hmm. But if you got a world in which all reproduction can be basically done in a lab, or you just essentially don't need as many children mm-hmm. because your fertility rate's down to one, and you're an industrial yeah. society, and children are an expense, not a benefit to you. That does give women a lot more power, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, it's it's. It's literally why feminists like birth control a lot in, in mm-hmm. developing societies because it, when a woman controls her fertility, she has a lot more power in the family, mm-hmm. right? And right, not, um, right, um, if a society um, doesn't need as many children, that disempowers men. I'm, I'm sure an anthropologist could, could right, say more um, on this. The Lois McCaster Bujold in in her universe when when uh, artificial uh, Wombs are introduced to a very patriarchal society barrier. The women start exercising power, and the men don't yeah. like it at all. They they resist violently the whole idea that women might actually want to control their reproduction. So we didn't really have that yeah. as much in terms of North America. You know, the pill was not banned generally. Uh, well, the, well, yes, but yeah, abortion but, but, yeah. has been a lot more of an issue. You know, uh, and and the interesting thing is is. Abortions have been with us a lot longer than than the pill, and the pill seems to have bypa- bypassed the whole idea of of sort of the brutal inter sort of unthinking um, mythology behind wa- what religion has to say about yeah, about yeah, yes and no, yes and no because there's a lot of there's a down here in the states there's a lot of resist. A lot of a lot of places that don't want to have to have uh, the pill on health plans and whatnot because I, they consider I get that, it but, moral. But as a relative uh, as a relative term, it you know it's accessible. It's uh, and it, it, yeah, it seems to bypass the the I don't know gut response that re- like for, here's a good example. Um, Mormonism. Well, it was like came into yeah, exist- it was easier for a doc. Okay, go ahead. Mo- Mormonism came into yeah. existence when coffee was a thing. So, uh, in addition to, you know, banning alcohol, which is very ancient, which many religions have, you know, done or it's interpreted as such or moderation or, you know, have some sort of idea to how to deal with this thing. Marijuana is a very modern one. Um, and that came in very suddenly, right? As a, uh, you know, uh, measure in a very difficult time in the United States' history. Um, but abortion, uh, you know, that's ancient. It's uh, taboo-ish um, uh, for the most part. But then suddenly, you know, we get uh, a pill solution that bypasses the objection of you're killing a baby, right? Um, and and more importantly, you know, you, you have to go to get an appointment. You just take this thing and you can do it before you're married, right? So your husband can't even boss you around. So, um, yeah, what are we going to say, Evan? I'm just, I, I, I'm oh, pointing this, out that this is, this is, uh, something no, that Bulwer Lytton wouldn't have. No, I, yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you on this, but the, um, what's the, I got this from a book and I forgot the name of it. Make Love Not War is the name of the book. It's mm-hmm. the history of the sexual revolution, but it has a wonderful chapter on the pill, which I, I remember very, very clearly. And it's, it really wake awoken me to just how revolutionary the pill was. Mm-hmm. 
And it's really for three reasons. One is doctors, and this is doctors, it was easier for a doctor to prescribe a pill to like a 16 or 17 year old than something like other birth control methods that were available at the time, like the diaphragm. Mm-hmm. I mean, just in a relatively, compared to now, prudish society, mm-hmm. it was easier for a doctor to sign off on a pill or something. So, Well, it, there's it, no, like, this it, is how it, you it, install it. it kind you, know? of, like you say it, it kind of covered, it, it kind of bypassed certain moral objections, right? Yeah. But it also, I mean, it did what all birth control does, which, which empowers women to have more choice over their repro- reproduction, but it does it in a very special way. While both birth control that was available at the time was like the condom or the diaphragm was something that had to be applied. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was an act, right? Yep. With the pill, women could just walk around unfertile. Yep. Which and it changes it's, everything. It's like yeah. it's it's like the photocopier. Once you have the photocopier, you know, quill copyists are out. And, and we don't like the actual co- copying and reproduction of it's funny the reproduction of of material at a at a very easy clip which we don't have for most physical things um, we we get we can get very close but uh, but like I have a I have a printer in my apartment I could I could print a thousand pages today if I wanted but doing that a hundred years ago you know th- that would be very expensive and very difficult and 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 printing presses used to be subject to the same kind of of um, restrictions, restrictions. as yeah. as a, you know. In fact, they were more restricted than abortion, right? Or, or, <laughs> You'd have or to have a license more... to get one. Importation of them could you know lead to arrest and imprisonment, right? Because of the power it gives, and the pill right. because it's con- so concealed, and because it once it's you know once you do it once you get on the system you got the prescription you're you don't have to you know go back to the doctor every month and ask for a new diaphragm right get a prescription for a new diaphragm you just you're done you're good right and that that uh, it it bypasses all the previous setup defenses that the society has made for you like so here's a really interesting question what is the use of the pill in a country like saudi arabia right how do they handle it I have no idea. What I can tell you is uh, families don't have endless numbers of children. Some do, right? But a lot of people don't have endless numbers of children. And it isn't all just, uh, you know, uh, hiding the women away. Well, I have two kind of specific other kind of regional examples of that. Mm-hmm. Like what does a post-1970 Catholic priest do when a couple comes to them and says, you know, my husband just lost his job and we have five kids. What's your advice, priest, <laughs> that we should do? Uh, the Pope says... Quit the, being the Catholic. sin, right? <laughs> and I'm pretty sure the pill is used pretty commonly among Catholic families. I'm confident right? it is, yeah. whether, whether it's approved yeah. of or not. And the other place we see this is like in traditionally like patriarchal society. So feminists, when they went to, there's a wonderful book and I forget the name of this, but it dealt with birth control in Zimbabwe. It's actually one of my favorite books on the subject because you had different people trying to bring birth control into, into Rhodesia at the time, mm-hmm. still under the British rule. Some of them were eugenicists and racists who wanted 
fewer black people so they could like take over the land, right? But others were feminists who said, this is how we liberate women. And others were just African women who wanted to get a depot shot every month because they didn't want to have as many kids. And they wanted to like be free to maybe be a prostitute on the side or, or just, you know, just tell their husband, I'm only going to have another kid if you do X, Y, and mm. Z. Right? So there was like a cultural war over the meaning of birth control. In Rhodesia, it wasn't that long ago that this took place. It was like in the 70s and 80s. So, yeah, so the pill came in. The pill came in in a period where women had already achieved massive movement in a direction that, like, they, they were driving cars, they had in jobs. The yeah, in the West. Yeah. And so, it, yeah. it, it, it was, we had a mechanism, right? This, uh, I mean, it's kind of weird the way we treat doctors as sort of a priest class, right? You have, uh, we do this with other, other jobs as well. But it isn't even like a cop where you get hired for it. It's you, you went before the thing, you got the certification, you did this, and now you have official power to write these, uh, documents that allow, uh, people to do things that they wouldn't otherwise be able to do. Um, it, it, it's not like, um, you know, you come up to me and I, I have a special essay power. I grant you. Uh, admission to universities. I have to teach you the methods of it, right? Whereas a prescription, it's just solved. <laughs> you, you now can go to the pharmacist yeah. and get the thing that you want. And, and men and women had equal access. So when, when the pill comes into market, uh, they, they don't really have any, um, intellectual momentum behind its banning. Uh, they'll, they'll try and get some, scramble for it, but these guys are not, you know, working uh, people working in the religious uh, grift are not, you know, the swiftest. They rely a lot on this momentum, and it's hard. So, uh, yeah, I think it's really cool that this 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 book is dealing with marriage, but it isn't saying uh, it is uh, it isn't saying anything that I think is super definitive. Other than look at this and look at that. Uh, but uh, still, exactly. what, what, what's going on with the tiger being the t like? Is, is he making fun of science? That because that's not a the thing. Parasite tiger. The par the top the parasite tiger of the tiger, right? And there's like the, the fauna in here. I, I think it's sort of inconsistent. Like he starts off the very first thing he sees is a giant lizard, right? And and then right. it's, slay it's one only of these later lizards. said that yeah oh yeah they sometimes come around but, but they also eat yeah. crops or at least they destroy crops right and aren't they aren't they these people who you know would never harm uh, like an insect and they're they're not vegans but there's they they uh, milk I don't know goat like creatures that don't stink like goats. And then, <laughs> and then they have, uh, they add a little fruit to it to give it a flavor. Like, there is a, you know, that Hitler being a vegetarian thing. This vegetarianism is a very longly cherished sort of intellectual thing. It's not a, um, it's not a religious thing. It's an intellectual tradition. I mean, there are religions that... It's not even a dietary thing yet. It's like an intellectual sort it of... It is. It, yeah, and I'm so, not going to... Yeah, I, I mean... against eat life, yeah. Right, and in the same, you know, like... I don't I don't understand the rise of veganism. Um, I, I mean, I get parts of it, but 
I don't understand the intellectual tradition behind it because I don't think it is as intellectual as vegetarianism. I think it's something less than that. I think it's more uh, emotional, which is really odd because, you know, uh, there's a great point made in this book about the teeth, right? Oh, if we examined your teeth while you were uh, hypnotized or whatever. Yeah, while we drilled you and we determined you to be a meat eater. Um, and therefore we were going to kill you. But then we said, well, maybe later. <laughs> um, but if you examined our teeth and he says, I haven't had the opportunity, <laughs> you'll notice that they are not meat eating teeth. Right. So, uh, Hitler wasn't a vegetarian because he, he hated, uh, eating animals. It was an intellectual sort of, move a lot of people like it's really hard to understand and i know a lot of veggies i don't i i don't understand how the intellectual tradition works but i know that they're they're all it's it's much older than veganism so maybe some of the veggies can explain to me what's going on in this book about that will i like me too much so not not me Evan? Oh, uh, I think Evan oh, just shared. Evan, a, Evan, Evan just shared a link. Okay. Yeah, no, it's just a book. It's just a book that's probably the best to go at for Jesse's question. The cultural history of vegetarianism. The roots. Sixteen hundred to modern. This one times. will probably answer your question. Okay. Yeah, I, I just skimmed it. I only skimmed it. I, I didn't read the whole thing. The uh, I mean, the vegetarianism in this book is like pretty straightforward. I feel like, um, uh, you know, they think that like. Uh, eating meat is like bad for you mm-hmm. in some kind of way. Uh, so you like don't eat any meat. Like it's, I, I don't see why that's so complicated. <laughs> well, that's, uh, but uh, the, the, their, their, um, teeth is the thing that is. So some people think that veg- uh, vegetarianism, uh, uh, meat is bad for you, right? Uh, or they think it's bad for the planet. Um, or they think it's bad for both. Uh, well, it is bad for the planet, just objectively, if you eh, do it on an industrial scale. I guess, like, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, ha- I mean having humans uh, on the planet is really bad for the planet, but I'm only mar- arguing in terms of humans, right? I, I, won't, yeah. I, I don't think we can, uh, no matter what we do to the planet, the planet's going to be fine. Even if we nuked it in a billion years, it would be back up to speed. It'd be fine. Okay, I mean, well, I mean, but it impacts But if you're going to the change, teeth stuff. Right? Yeah, I'm but going the, to the yeah, teeth the, stuff. Yeah, the teeth. I mean, the evolutionary argument is is. I mean, we're also not evolved to have wheels and, and, and <laughs> fossil fuels. Well, and are we evolved to, actually, have, to actually, cook our meat? Though is the question. I think they our are. Diet. There's right. so much evidence now, Jesse, that the diet that we evolved to to consume is killing us now. Well, like also, our our desire to eat yeah. sugar and fat. Yes. Is great in an evolutionary sense if we're hunter gatherers. It makes no sense in the modern world. Well, it's killing us in a certain sense, um, but it's also, you know, made us as populous as we are. I mean, it's a, it's a slow, yeah. it's more it's, people it's, it's, on I mean, Earth I mean, than as, ever. As, as, as I put as it, it doesn't fit our world, the world we live in now. Yeah, as hunter gatherers, that's fine. Crabbing, craving sugar and fats because they're because they're rare and high energy. Whereas we can, I can just go to the refrigerator and get a bowl of ice cream, or whatever I want. That's not so great. You should keep it in the freezer. But I, I, I get your point. Um. Thank you, <laughs> Thank you Patty. <laughs> 
I just think I don't, I don't know why the the teeth that's... evolution thing is is like more fanciful than like any other aspect of the brilliant. Like, yeah. Well, that, that, I mean, he talks about phrenology in here too, which yeah. you know he talks about the slope of the heads and the how big their craniums are and <laughs> all that um, you know ridiculous nineteenth century bullshit. Um, is he making fun of all of this? Is he saying that this is not a thing? Because he does, he does compare these red people. Uh, and if you look at the, I put art in the, um, audiobook. That's the only image I could find that was actually, uh, relatively old and associated with this actual book. You know, that wasn't like some rando. And it has our hero, he's bearded, sitting, uh, wearing his presumably given to him tunic. And there's this lady with wings holding her wand, wearing a crown. She's much physically larger than him. She totally dominate him like a child. Um, there's like beams coming off of the thing. She's got a very refined look to her. I mean, with the tiara, she's a princess, right? Or queen or whatever. And she's a vegetarian. But she likes this uh, crude barbarian looking dude. For some reason, <laughs> which I can't explain. So, do you guys know what amativeness means? Define that word. No, you spell it for me. A M A T I V E N E S S. Okay. You read the book, so you should have come across the word and and not looking it up. Uh huh. Okay, I got it. You should have looked it up when you came across it. But it's in the section on phrenology. Uh huh. Um, amativeness. It it basically means. Horniness, right? Yep, yep. Amorousness, mm-hmm. eroticism, or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. This was something the phrenologists were obsessed with. If you read the phrenologists of the 19th century, like Fowler, if mm-hmm. you guys know about Fowler, mm-hmm. he was like the popular phrenologist of America in the mid 19th century, right? And the cool thing about like the popular phrenologists, as opposed to like the strictly like the lab phrenologists who just played with skulls. They had to play with actual people, <laughs> right? And so they felt their head, and it, it could be like a really intelligent person. And, and here, like your head doesn't quite conform to that. So you had to sort of, you know, be quick on your feet and how you interpreted people because the shape of their head didn't always fit what your presumption about someone based on their race or gender or their class might be, mm-hmm. right? But amativeness, this was this comes up a lot in the frenetical literature of the 19th century, because this was the way you identified the lesser races mm. or, or women or the yeah. lower classes. It was always like sexual, like how horny you were, mm. right? And in this book, we're told explicitly amativeness and combativeness are both small, you know, in the in these people, mm-hmm. the real yah. And yet they're always expanding their colonies. They're always like the ultimate Protestants. Yeah. No, 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 you're laughing, but that's, that's, that's a great way of putting it. I mean, puritanical Protestants who are clearing the land and not knocking back the, the, the lessers of is a, and I mean, you, you mocked me at the beginning, Jesse, for saying that, that this wasn't a, uh, that, that this wasn't a satire, but there is, there is that sort of like, American like land on the continent and push west and whoever's there, do they get theirs and we're going to build our civilization sort of thing to the yeah. real yeah. So in a way that 
I mean, he seems to be admiring that sort of American sort of like. I think he's ambivalent destiny. about it. I think he's ambivalent about it. I don't think it's just like because the real ya are like a terrible. Yeah, no, thing, I think they're a right? dystopia. Yeah. yeah. Not yeah, a utopia. And, and like he and, and like he's he's poking fun at the American here, like throughout the novel. So, mm. I mean, one thing I've been thinking is, you know, the real ya are a weird reflection of Americans. Yes, yes. absolutely. The, 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 the Americans taken to 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 eleven, as it were. They the, the racism that causes them to eliminate native populations uh, is. You know, it's American, but it's also what the Nazis ended up sort of adopting. I, I noticed, um, uh, I, there is no Wikipedia entry for, for amativeness, but there is one, uh, called Coitus Reserva, Reservatus. Um, so, you know, saving your sex. Um, and I noted one that was kind of funny. One of the entries here is on the Rosicurians. And now one of the things Rosicrucians. I, Rosicrucians. Rosicrucians. That, I, I don't, whoa! I just spilled water all over myself. Whoa! Okay. Uh, <laughs> Are you alive? I'll be alive. Uh, in any case, the Rosicrucians. Is that how you say their name? Rosicrucian. It's Rosicrucians. like like Rosie Cross, Rosie Cross. people. Rosie, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, they are all throughout all the pulp magazines, um, Amazon, uh, all the fantasy and science fiction related pulp magazines. Going back, not so much weird tales, although they're in there too. Back to the twenties, at least, really big in the thirties. They go right into the seventies, probably early eighties. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I don't know how active they are anymore, but this is something they advertise all the time. And it's basically, um, you know, there's this ancient knowledge. If you just send away for this book, it's free. Uh, you will, uh, be like these superhuman geniuses of history. Uh, you'll know the secret knowledge. Um, it's super funny stuff. So I send it, uh, I started it once and then I, I can't stop once I do a, something on Twitter. I can't stop doing it. So I, I just harass Wayne June by sending him ads for Rosicrucian stuffs and quoting little things from it. And, and it's like, why aren't you doing this? <laughs> I, never, I really don't know anything about it, but the Rosicrucians or Rosic, uh, whatever they're called, um, the AMORC, Rosicrucians declare openly, this is what it says on Wikipedia entry, they do not engage in sexual practices of an occult nature. <laughs> I don't know why that had to be stated. This has been so since the first Imperator, H. Spencer Lewis, PhD, made it public knowledge. Their rival organization. First Imperator? <laughs> yep. Their rival organization, Fraternitas Rosicrucius, led by Dr. R. Swinburne Clymer, <laughs> engages in sexual engages in sexual practices for the sake of race regeneration. Dr. Clymer is completely opposed to the practice of charizina or coitus reservatus and advocates instead a form of sex intercourse in which the couple experiences organism at the same time. The, sec the secretary of Fedosi, F-U-D-O-S-I, instead heartily approves of the practice of careza, to establish harmony in the in the family as well in the world by preventing the waste of misuse of sex energy, and then it goes on to talk about Dr. Arnold Krum Heller. So, uh, and then there's another. The next one down is uh, another Dianism, which is uh, a American spiritual practice consulting consisting of sexual satisfaction from sexual contact, and it has you know a lady with a 
horns on her head in the Wikipedia entry. My point is, is this is um, <laughs> vegetarianism, cults, um, and uh, underground secret societies. Uh, they're all kind of connected. It's kind of really weird. It all comes out of this moment but, in the 19th century. But you haven't said anything that makes me not want to be a... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, the the Dionists um, are, they're into sex magic and blah blah blah. I mean, <laughs> it's uh, the thing is, is um, uh, like why why are they having this argument on Twitter as to who who did it better or who didn't do it better? <laughs> because because that's where the war is now, right? The war is now for. When you look stuff up on Wikipedia, whose who's, uh, who's system yeah, of ridiculous wars, yeah, yeah, whose ridi- ridiculous system of of fake religion is better? I'll be, I'm just glad we didn't have, um, you know, there hasn't been a Rosicrucian. Uh, uh, well, I would no, no, I was saying like they didn't murder millions of people like the Nazis did, you know, like. This thing can go really wrong and get twisted. And then Yeah, the, I mean, I, I don't think these ideas were like what like ultimately caused like uh like Nazi Germany to like you it's know, something happen. latched like, onto I mean, though, for sure. That the plans the breathing room thing is Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's that's yeah, but the uh but I mean like you know, like like Nazi Germany doesn't just like happen because like yeah. somebody like like uh, read this book through the lens of Madame Blavatsky and was like, like you know, it happened at a particular moment in history under particular conditions uh, when like these kinds of ideas could like yeah no not, uh, nobody's really reading it today yeah, is gonna adopt it I get that this, this is the yeah like like Wagner for instance you hmm. know I I think if you were to he always gets associated with the Nazis because Hitler sort of dug Wagner mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Well, cuz if you were to drag, if you were to drag at the average SS officer, even someone pretty high up and talk to him about the Meistersingers of Nuremberg, <laughs> that that probably wouldn't be a very interesting conversation. <laughs> These people weren't that they, they didn't really understand Wagner outside of maybe listening to the ring. Superficial. Yeah. yeah. Oh, if they you know, do they get through the ring? That's a good question. Most yeah, of them got through it. Yeah, that's a good question. It is a long cycle. They just hear it's 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 what they should. It's it's part of being German. It's just what they hear, and they embrace that in a way. Well, well kind of like yeah. to get into poly, modern politics, people buying Goya beans all of a sudden. Because that's what it is to be. Yeah, it's the equivalent of that. And that's a good (laughs) parallel. They're never actually going to eat or cook with the Saison, but they buy it to show support. Well, I I think this book gave uh, a lot more... um, A lot more than we're expecting? Chaff than it does clarity to some of this stuff. But on the other hand, I, I, I don't think you get City of Endless Night without this book. Oh, definitely not. You don't get Pellucidar, Cindy and the Snight, the... Pellucidar, maybe. Pellucidar is... I think we get Pellucidar. Um, we might not get She, A History of Adventure. Interesting. Yeah, she, she's she got some... I don't know. 
this stuff is also in the air, right? There, so yeah, uh, there. Uh, I had no idea that that there was so many precursors for so many these, these things, but stuff is happening right now that we can't see for what it is. And looking back, we can see, oh, this is the time when they did that kind of crazy thing, right? And then we look a couple, I don't know, 60 years later, and then, oh, that's the time when they did that kind of crazy thing. Um, and then, you know, moving on. And so, so some, some traditions can last a long time, but there's a bunch of stuff. I think it really, ultimately, it comes down to, like, what new pieces of knowledge are coming into the or, or or pieces of information are coming into the public consciousness, right? You don't get this book without uh, theory of evolution, I don't think. No, like, you don't get this book without without uh, electricity being, you know. Yeah, electricity and you, deep you don't. time. I think deep time. I think is important. Deep time too. is important. That's really like mentioned six six thousand well. or seven thousand years. Six thousand or seven thousand years get mentioned in this. I mean, they have the flood, right? Right. But yeah, they talk about the flood. The flood isn't. The flood's not like for your fundamentalist Christian. The flood is kind of like when you start counting almost. Mm-hmm. And here it's like it's what pushed them below ground, right? Mm-hmm. So there is a deeper Earth history, right? But I think it. it how recently we realize how old the Earth is? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was old. It was less than two hundred years ago that people started to say, like, maybe the Earth is millions of years old, right? Much less billions. Yeah, no, Lovecraft is two things. One, he is is geology, yeah. and number two, more probably equally or more importantly, uh, I don't know. It's it's interesting. Is the bigness of the universe, right? The vastness of yeah. of, of of the reality, because both of those things make you small. In different ways. I would add the sea, but for the same reason, perhaps. Hmm. Well, the sea is vast. It's hard to uh, the sea get your eye. But I think uh, the sea is the sea becomes it. kind of the cosmic horror, maybe writ small. Hmm. I've been mm-hmm. kind of playing with the idea a little bit, like what to make of the sea entirely in relationship with cosmic horror. And then you get that ge- the I whole genetic the racism stuff, right? That that mistake that uh, evolution is a ladder; it can be climbed and descended. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, and and yeah. mixing mixing of inferior and <laughs> and uh, it's, superior. It, but it's literally in the stories where these occult traditions come from. I mean, they're like the, in the festival. It's that mm. to the sea. Call of Cthulhu. You have these narrative connections. Mm-hmm. Charles Dexter Ward. You have Herwin's a slave trader, and he's connected with y- Europe. Mm-hmm. Even in the Dreamlands, you have all sorts of. Like maritime connections, bridging that world together. So that's what I've been trying to kind of play with and mm-hmm. think about. In I, recent writing. I think we're pretty close to done. What do you think? Yeah, I think we're there. Um, the uh, uh, the other thing that I want to mention from uh, Rebecca's essay mm-hmm. is uh, the underground stories. Um, they're like a, a precursor, or they're related to time travel stories uh, because when you go underground, you know it's. Uh, what's the first thing you see? This lizard from prehistory, right? You're, right. you're going into the past. I mean, yeah. it goes back to Vern again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I just uh, how the but, fuck uh, did they get all their oxygen down there? Um, don't think too hard. The about plants, it. Jesse. The plants are growing. <laughs> Where are the plants getting their life from? Vril. Oh yeah, you got it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Don't and think how do they develop it. their vril underground? Don't think about it. <laughs> Don't think about it, Jesse. They, they grew that. Did they, when did they even discover oxygen? 
Uh, it was after the, it's before this. Yeah. Yeah. 17, yeah. 1780s Priestley discovers oxygen. And see, that didn't have the same <laughs> profound effect on human uh, culture as like, I, I get all upset. I want to get into fights with people about phlogiston. Nobody cares. Flogiston? You mean, oh, I mean, phlogiston theory? You're, you're pronouncing it incorrectly, according to my, my phlogiston theory. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> nobody, nobody wants to fight with me about phlogiston. It's a thing. Come on. What is it? I, I know it was a theory. It's, I learned about it in high what, school. It's what, what they thought. Well, it's the effect of oxygen when you don't know what oxygen is. Um, it's basically stuff can be phlogisticated or dephlogisticated. So you got a piece of wood and you light it on fire and now it's being dephlogisticated. And then the air is becoming phlogisticated. <laughs> it, they, I mean, it, it, it's, it's like a conservation of something. Yeah, it, 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 it's, electric, it's they think of it as a fluid, a fluid yeah, that can it, be transferred between uh, air and objects. I mean, I mean, I mean, there's like electricity I mean, or something. It's redox reactions, except they got everything reversed. Yeah. And nobody cares about it. Nobody has like big cultural, like we don't go on crusades or jihads about it because, you know, it didn't affect. It's, it's, it's absolutely wrong. Well, yeah, but when we, when we discovered oxygen, nobody's like went on crusades about that either. Right. My point is like, it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't fundamentally the, changing on, on, our on, on, conception of well, ourselves crusades but well the i mean i mean i mean that this is the scientific moment of that wasn't as embedded as say when plate tectonics and wagner and whatnot started and there was a lot of resistance to that for decades yeah but that kind that of resistance still didn't affect them like like the churches don't like yeah i think your point is darwin right yes oh, okay. darwin, yeah, yeah. darwin and and and, and the age of the that. earth or even you know, or Galileo, or you know, Copernicus. Like, right? They got in religion. Like this, this information needs to be suppressed. Nobody gets upset at the discovery of oxygen. They go, "Hey, okay, great job, Lavoisier." Well, because it, it did, because it doesn't it doesn't speak to it doesn't speak to central tenets of religious belief yeah, about centrality any. of man and whatnot. Right. I mean, I also think that everybody kind of already understood that there was something like oxygen, right? They were like breathing something, and when they like couldn't breathe, they like knew that they couldn't breathe. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't mean to like oversimplify this, but uh, I mean it's not world shaking that like, oh, like I need the stuff that's in the air to live. Everybody knows that. <laughs> well, right? you know, like babies what's, know that. What's, Fake uh, news. What's What's really cool uh, about like this is the one I always th- get obsessed about is like. Um, we we actually are lying to ourselves all the time by using metaphors, crazy, ridiculous metaphors. So we say oxygen is healthy, right? <laughs> because if you don't have it, you die. Um, now, of course, you can die from too much oxygen, although that's not usually the thing. Um, but oxygen causes cancer. <laughs> um, and a lack of it causes immediate death. So it's both healthy and unhealthy, right? Sushi, for a starving person, is uh, food, uh, which makes them healthy, but sushi is full of heavy metals, which makes them unhealthy, right? So healthy is not a real, is not a, you can't go to the doctor and say, doctor, am I healthy? Because <laughs> even if he says yes or no, he's lying to you. But we do still have this very handy word for healthy, right? You say, well, there seems to be a problem with the patient, doctor. Yes, this is the knife sticking into his heart. 
that'd be part of the issue, perhaps. Or he's lacking oxygen, Doctor. He's turning blue. Yes, that looks rather unhealthy. Let's administer some poisonous oxygen to him. Um, so when we get uh, sort of um, fucked up, we we say, you know, the frog is being de- deflagisticated under the, uh, <laughs> the vacuum pump. That explains a lot. <laughs> Frog's like, I can't breathe through my skin. Help. <laughs> and then um, uh, the one that I really like, my favorite one, is uh, metaf- uh, poetic devices oxymoron. When I found this out, blew my blew my brains out. Oxy uh, is the same for oxygen. It means sharp. And moron is a stupid person, a.k.a. a dullard. So an oxymoron is a description of what an oxymoron is. It's a sharp dull. Yeah, it is in itself contains what the what the word. Indeed, is. Yeah, and that's it's... why that's why etymology is incredibly important. It's like oh, it tells you sort of the the history, like oxygen. Gen is actually related to uh, water, right? And that's what why oxygen sharp, sharp water because yeah, oxygen is part of water. Yeah, yeah. So uh, hydrogen, right? Um, this, uh, it's not, uh, heligen, it's helium, right? So there, there's like a, a, a sort of shitty logic to the explanations for all of these, almost all of these names. And it isn't just, uh, always traditional. Uh, so in, in a, I, I, one of the ones, one of the ones in the names in here, uh, you guys probably not super familiar with it, but it's interesting because, um, Bulwer-Lytton may have been. Um, one of the characters is named Tai. Do we know how that's spelled? Evan, did you see the spelling in your physical PDF of it? Uh, let's see. So it doesn't really matter as long as it's, it's pronounced. T-A-E with the Ulmot. Okay, yeah. So there's a newspaper. Or there's two dots. Is, that so, a, is it, is it a little, umlaut, yes. over any vowel? Yeah, I don't know. Oh, yeah. In any case, um, there is a local uh, newspaper here. It's not really a newspaper. It's an online paper blog I follow. I tweet it, retweet some of their stuff. It's called the Tai, and it's a local word meaning um, chief. <laughs> so uh, given that Bulber Lytton was somewhat at least familiar with British Columbia in that he, you know, dispatched people and, you know, was doing research about how it should be organized. Um, he may have picked that word up from here. Well, I mean, given that, given that he gives, it gives the, gives them red skin, that's, yeah, that sounds very plausible. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's thinking Americans. I mean, he was thinking, uh, probably. Well, yeah, I mean, he was still, he was thinking, he was thinking, uh, in the same way yeah. that, uh, yeah. Um, North Americans. So, yeah. yeah. And the same way that the princess of helium is, is red skinned, right? From well, yes. Edgar Rice Burroughs. Uh, it, it, it's a it's a kind of weird um, uh, love hate relationship. We admire you for your nobleness of your savagery, but also we need to exterminate you. Also, Can't you we were doomed d- to be exterminated from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. And there are, yeah. it's a dying yeah. planet, right? Novel too. It's just like it, oh well, you know, it's just doom. You know, uh, nothing to be uh, done. Yeah, well. Yeah, their their religious conviction is crazy. Like, oh well, you know, they're just destined not to exist a hundred years from now. Right. Yeah. So while while we're mowing them down, that's yes, yes, it's unfortunate. uh, But what can we do? We're all part of a grand tapestry. (laughs) 
fucking uh, ridiculous. Oh my god. The great chain of being. Yes. And you're not being. Sorry about that. Yeah. But it, it's okay because we have this philosophy that says we're all everything that we destroy is, you know, recreated in the next world. Yeah, right? That's that's my point is is like their uh their their belief in their religion is fucking insane. <laughs> There's no skepticism at all. All the kids 100% believe that they're they're going to heaven with no evidence. Like Yeah. Uh, did you like the logical proof there that was like, well, because we can conceive of the idea of God, God must exist. That is that is literally one of the arguments for the existence of God. Um, uh, how does it go? It goes something like this. That which none uh, I can conceive of being that which none greater can be conceived. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I can imagine there's a God. Uh, there's sort of a shitty God. He's like, he only lives like, uh, he only works on Saturdays, right? <laughs> he only works one day a week. Mondays. He only works Mondays. Um, and therefore I can con- conceive of a greater God, right? Uh, one who works Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And I can conceive of a greater God. He works every day of the week. Um, and he has lightning bolts. And then some other kid says, well, I can conceive of a God who does lightning bolts and earthquakes, right? So you sort of combine all these gods together and then, the guy says, I can conceive of God none greater than which can be conceived. Um, uh, and then he, he does this really awesome maneuver that I'm forgetting the details of. But um, uh, this belief is innate. <laughs> Therefore, God exists. And I was like, wait, what? what, what the switch happened. He's like doing he's doing like uh, uh, close up magic, you know, with cards. Yes. <laughs> he is absolutely cheating. But he's also cheating himself. He's swindling himself. He does not believe that God doesn't exist. He believes that. Uh, who am I talking about? Is this this is uh, this might be um, uh, the French guy. Uh, I Pascal? think. Therefore, am I? No, Pascal is a wager. His is oh, actually well, much more cynical. It's Descartes. Didn't Descartes get a mention in here? I think he did. Descartes' argument Descartes for God. Mentioned. Yeah, for God. Um. Uh, the ontological argument, that's what they're called. Yeah, it had been the sober belief of Descartes that the life of man couldn't be prolonged, not indeed on this earth, no, to eternal duration, but to what he called the age of the patriarchs, mostly defined to be 100, 150 years average length. So yeah, there's a lot of weird Bible stuff that gets thrown into here, not only the flood, but things like that. It's just like randomly. Uh, Descartes not an ontological argument, is he? Uh, he does have an ontological argument, but that's it's it's not. I guess he has for. to, yeah. because he predetermines God's existence, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, so Saint Anselm is the one I was thinking of. Um, yeah. The first and best known ontological argument, as proposed uh, at best, best known, okay, uh, is by Saint Anselm of Canterbury in 11th century. Uh, Anselm claims to derive the existence of God from a concept of being of man, which no greater can be conceived. Uh, Saint Anselm reasoned that if such a being fails to exist, then a, oh yeah, that's the great move. If, <laughs> so I can conceive of a god who's greater than any other god before, and, uh, and if he doesn't actually exist, then he's not actually greater. So, therefore, <laughs> the greater being would be the one that actually exists and also but, has all those superpowers, right? So existence Jesse, is greater is than- just Platonism? I've never had that really fully explained to me. I guess I never really understood the ontological argument very well. 
Well, they're they're all weak. Is is like bigness, like Plato with bigness, right? Yeah. Like the god of like if bigness is a god, it's a just, form. Yeah. Yeah, it's a form of what I understand with my limited mind, right? So God is just a form. Maybe it's just Neoplatonism, I guess. Well, they, that's what they they have to they believe in a particular god. So this actually is a, a it's a nice explanation as to why monotheism is so popular. Like there's three major religions, two of which are incredibly popular uh that are basically monotheist, right? Um and wh- why is this a, a a superior development is basically two two guys meet at a campfire. They're traders crossing you know, Asia. And one says, yeah, my God, uh, like this happens actually in, in, it's pretty great. In the original, uh, Conan the Barbarian scene, uh, there's a, or movie, there's a scene where, um, Conan talks about his God and then the guy who's, he's with talks about his God. And, uh, Conan says, my, my God is Krom. He lives on the mountain. He doesn't care what we do. He just puts fire into our bellies when we're born. And, uh, and then, if we pray to him, he laughs, and and he says that that's that's cool. Let me tell you about my God. Says the other guy, and he says he says um, my God is the north wind and the south wind. He's the sky, and he says ha! I laugh at your God. Says Conan. And he says your God lives under my God, and Conan looks at him the sky. This guy is like shit. My argument's been defeated, right? <laughs> because he's he's. Higher, literally higher in the sky than Conan's, who lives in a mountain, right? Um, so once you start saying God doesn't have a body, you're already beating the guy who says he does have a body. And then when you say, wait, your guy got sacrificed on that cross, he said, yeah, but he sacrificed himself, don't you see? Like, that's such a maneuver that you like. But do you get this? I'm going to just read it again. It's such a great move. Uh, St. Anselm claims to derive the existence of God from a concept of a being than that which none greater can be conceived. So I think of a giant, a giant, he's 800 feet tall, right? And he says he's got superpowers like Superman and he's bulletproof and he's not, he's not subject to kryptonite. Wow. That's, that's really impressive. Will should be very excited right now. Okay. <laughs> and then you, Will says, no, no, I, I got one. He's got all the powers of Superman, but more importantly, he also has, and he's bulletproof and uh, no, no kryptonite, but he also has, uh, uh, a natural power like, uh, the Green Lantern, but it doesn't come from a ring. It comes from every cell of his body. So, uh, and he's, bu- and like he's got a, sh- well, yes. sure. Um, but the important part is he's even better. And then, and then I say, yeah, yeah, well, my God exists. Oh, my, my God is, he's in DC comics. And you, you say, no, my God exists. And now I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> so, <laughs> arguing whether Batman or Superman is better, <laughs> neither one exists. If you get an actual person who, I don't know, put on a cape, um, and had superpowers, then that actually would be a greater. But what's so funny is, He's proved that God exists, but he can't produce evidence of his existence except in this argument, which is hilarious, right? And then, it, yeah. It, it's very silly. It's pretty. It's a pretty awesome move, and it, it tricked people for a couple hundred years. And then uh, Descartes has one in the fifth meditation where he demonstrates the existence of God actually through that dream thing, right? So he says, um, 
uh, I think, uh, cogito ergo sum, right? I think therefore I am, although that's not a very good, uh, argument. Anyways, you can say thinking happens, therefore thinking is really all you can really say. But he says, cogito ergo sum. And how do I know I'm not, I'm not just, uh, being tortured by a demon, um, to make me think that I'm, I'm thinking of reality. And he says, well, um, that would be imperfect. And because God is all good, um, I can trust my senses. And then he moves on, right? So the reason we know that there is a reality is because God exists and makes the reality uh, perceivable to us. As nice a, of him. Yeah, kind of. Uh, I mean, very. Thanks, God. Yeah. So uh, these are all tricks. And the, they trick themselves into these crazy shit. And then most of the time... The religious people don't pay any attention to it, or the people who are giving the money to the religious people. It's just, you know, whatever works. Let's move on. Will this get me? Will get? Will this get me that new job I want? <laughs> Can I marry that lady if I say these special words? Because she's real sexy. She's got a lot of uh, what was that word? Uh, amativeness. Anim- amativeness. Amativeness. Yes, the shape of her. The bumps she's making on her, me amative. <laughs> she's, the shapes of the bumps on her noggin make me very excited. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sff audio.